Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, welcome in again. Another week of pandemic radio on your afternoon with a couple of idiots and Logan Gordon. Um, you're not mm. an idiot, Logo. You get to uh, you get to be exempt from that name. Uh, Logo is holding down the fort at uh, our Basement Systems downtown studio. Thank you for doing that, Logo. We really appreciate it. And uh, when we say that we wouldn't be able to be on the air without Logo, we are not lying. So Logo is holding down the fort this week. Pinder's at Shea Pinder. I'm here in the uh, beautiful home office with no echo at Shea Steinberg. Boys, how was the uh, nice. how was the weekend? What did we uh, what did we get up to? Pinder, you go first. What uh, what did the weekend consist of? Well, some good uh, outdoor skating with my uh, my twin hyenas on uh, both Saturday and Sunday. Good social distancing shitty outside. Uh, some tobogganing, lots of cards and board games and coloring. Uh, I've become a preschool teacher. I, I think uh, someone said it best when they tweeted out earlier today that they'd lived through many decades, including the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010s, 2020s, and this March. It does feel like uh, time has hit the brakes, pulled the e-brake, and is rolling sideways into the ditch. Um, it's a lot. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'm Googling how to draw crocodiles off the Internet. Uh, it, it's a lot. How are, the, uh, how are the crocodile pictures coming? I can send photos at the – you know what I'll do? I've, I've, I've got two updates for you. Number one, uh, Shea Pinder really is my wife's office that she no longer uses in a former career. She had an office in the house and it's now just a room with a bunch of boxes with old files and printers that we don't even use and stuff like that. Old photos of people I don't even know. Uh, I will take, I will put a picture on my Twitter account of my studio complete with pink flowered sparrow pillows, throw blankets and uh, not real pillows, but like for show pillows uh, to, to try to dampen the sound in the room. And I will also post a photo of today's arts and crafts class that ran between 10 and noon local time for my boys. I would appreciate that. And I also, um, I've heard a rumor that you did not get to the weekend game against Tampa in our NHL 94 simulated season, but have no fear uh, coming up around the corner. Ryan Pike's going to join us as he always does on Monday. And during the uh, conversation with Pike, you're going to go make sure that game gets played. That is what I call dedication to your craft. Well, and the lightning really sucks. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of an effort they put forth on Olympic saddle dome ice against a new-look Flames group that has Robert Reichel on the wing and Gary Roberts at center ice. So uh, we'll see what uh, the expansion lightning can do at the, uh, you know, the incredible altitude of Calgary, Alberta, amidst this very difficult season for them. Are we still talking about uh, Joan Neuendijk riding the bench? That's what I'm most, um, most curious about. Reichel got hurt in the third period in the road trip finale in New Jersey, but uh, he's traveled back with the team, is symptom-free. I uh, was worried about some concussion stuff, but uh, that seems to be a little premature on my behalf, as it uh, looks like he'll be ready to go tonight on the wing. But it's a short leash for Reichel, uh, because Neuendijk, after the Reichel injury, and he left early in the third, came in and, uh, I guess, held his own quite nicely on the wing, with Robert staying at center ice. Okay. Um, so that's coming up later on. We will make sure we get your uh, NHL 94 simulated season update. Logo, what did the weekend consist of for you? 
Uh, part of it was learning just how slow a sports radio station is on the weekend when there's no sports. Um, huh. Spoiler alert, it's, it's pretty slow. Uh, I was here for a bit on Saturday and Sunday, uh, so... You know, not much going on there. It was pretty quiet over the weekend. Lots of CBS radio here. And uh, other than that, I caught up on a couple of TV shows so that uh, me and some of my friends are going to do some of the joint Netflix watching. Uh, We've decided to do some of that. So I I had to catch up on a couple shows uh, on the weekend. So I I did that. Uh, So a lot of Netflix watching. Uh, I had to catch up on Breaking Bad. Uh, I stopped watching it about the second season. Oh, Lobo, so, so you're not, you don't know what happened? Like, you don't know how it ends? No. I'm oh, in season man, I'm one, so, so no jealous. spoiler alerts here. Okay. I'm so, I, w- I would is, never spoil, I'm just list. so jealous, I'm so jealous of both of you that you get the opportunity. So I had a friend who, for the longest time, was like, Pat, you've got to watch The Wire. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I finally started watching it, and she was so jealous that I got to be experiencing The Wire for the first time. Um, and it's true. Like, when you get to experience these things for the first time, I'm extremely jealous of you guys because the, the first go-round of, of, especially as the seasons roll on in Breaking Bad, it's unbelievable television. So I'm jealous of you both. It's, it's been really good so far. I've really enjoyed it. I, I, I don't know how I've managed to. It seems like everything that I you know, want to watch always seems to get spoiled for me. But so far, I, I didn't have any real interest in Breaking Bad until recently, and I, I have no idea how it ends or where it goes. So for now, I'm, I'm pretty good, and I'll, I'll see how much I can catch up in these last few seasons. So Okay. So again, um, that's at L-O underscore underscore yeah. G-O. That's yeah. your Twitter handle for people to spoil the yeah. show for you. Okay, yeah. good. Don't Appreciate do that. it. You. Don't do it. And, and you know what? Remember, <laughs> I'm retweeting remember. those right to your Twitter account when they come in, Rye. I'm Remember off social during, media now. I'm quitting it. <laughs> the uh, there is the whole you know I I didn't get to see Avengers Endgame as early as I wanted to see it, so I was like, okay, I really hope people don't spoil it. People never spoiled it. The only person who tried to spoil it was Pinder. Uh, you were the only guy that tried to spoil the uh, the love of watching the most anticipated movie ever. <laughs> Wasn't um, it at a bowling alley with a picture of a yeah. bowling alley or something yeah. like that? <laughs> I was like, and I'm I'm lucky. No, I didn't that ruin I, it for you, Pat. Did I? No, you didn't. But you tried, and it's the thought that close. counts, both good and bad. Jerk. I apologize, um, and I will never do that again. It was a mistake. It was horrible. It was bad. Well, it was really the kids at the bowling alley that really needed a talking to. Those kids are just jerks. So yes. I'm glad that I didn't get yes. it spoiled for me. Um. So I uh, one other I saw update uncut... for you, by the way. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, I I did something that I think uh, I don't know how legal it is, but I know how safe it is. On Saturday night, I went out oh. for socially distanced park beers. So I met up with a bunch of high school buddies. Good. We each had like a little plastic bag with like two beers in it, and we stood like eight to ten feet apart in a huge circle, and caught up and i think it was like as funny as that sounds uh it was very good a lot of the guys had been cooped up and hadn't been out and as we should be like staying in and you only see your family so to just have a couple beers at 11 p.m uh at an old park that you know the parties used to be at in junior high school it was way down memory lane we kept safe distance it was only like between minus two and zero 
Got a big long walk home after that. Went for a run. Like a, getting outside is so crucial. I'm not encouraging necessarily people to drink in public, but uh, just if you get a chance to get outside, it can really change uh, your your mental framework uh, amid this you know uncharted well, existence that we're in. By here. by park, do you mean like a like a playground? No, like just a large park. Okay. I, I don't want to get too specific. I don't okay, want uh, people on my on my scent, if you know what I mean. I was going to say the illegal park um, kind of goes up around the playground, I think. The uh, That's a good point by you. The um, Our health minister, uh, or our chief medical officer, rather, um, has been very has been very adamant on Twitter that yes, um, you can be outside, and they encourage you to be outside. Just make sure that you're socially distancing while you're outside, and and keep that two meter length. And um, it can it can sometimes be difficult if you're in higher traffic areas. But so far, and I was out outside for quite a bit on the weekend, um, being smart about it. But I, I would say that even going for a run through Kensington and a run through uh, Princess Island Park and the river pathways there. People are doing a really good job of keeping distance. People are doing a really mm-hmm. good job of even when passing each other, making sure there's a couple meters. Um, and there was, like, you saw the pictures of English Bay in Vancouver, and obviously we've seen the idiots in, in Florida and uh, the people in Australia in England, too bad. Australia. Like, you, you, you see all these pictures of these people stacked together. It's like, well, we're outside. I mean, no, you're still not socially distancing. I'll give a lot of people in this. Uh, I'll give everybody I saw a ton of credit over the weekend because they really took it seriously. So they got outside, and they were walking in groups of two or three, uh, or families were out together. So they're obviously not socially distanced, but from everybody else, they are. So I thought it was uh, it was really good to see, and, and I'll give Calgary a ton of credit because I think this province and this city has done a really good job of taking this thing seriously and not everywhere in the uh, first world has done that and that's frustrating because of what we're fighting against but i am really proud of the city to see that so i went i got a couple runs in i got twenty thousand steps on saturday i got about twelve thousand yesterday did a little grocery shopping and i watched uh, uncut gems and i gotta say i still that's the netflix movie with adam sandler I'm huh. still not exactly sure what I watch. Like everybody's been raving about <laughs> this uncut gems, and I still like for two hours. I'm I'm still not certain what it is that I watched. I don't understand why the ending was the way it was. I don't understand what happened to get to the ending. I don't understand why it's very well acted. Extremely chaotic feel of the movie. Like you're always stressed when watching the movie. But uh, yeah, I, I really, I still don't know what I saw, but I have now seen uncut gems. Okay, interesting. the The best thing I watched on the weekend, my wife was uh, trying to catch up on some series that she's got like forty shows left in. Um, this is us or something. I don't know. I'm not my thing. So I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw one of my favorite uh, Jay's bloggers of the uh, last decade was hosting a Twitch live viewing of Game 5 of the ALCS in 2015 where Marco Estrada pitches a gem against the Kansas City Royals with the Jays down 3-1 in that series back at Rogers Center. It was absolutely phenomenal, and I think it's probably a game that we're going to get popping up on Sportsnet in the next month or two if we continue without sports because uh, I don't think people remember how dominant Estrada was in that start. I believe he carried a no-hitter or a one-hitter into the eighth, 
and was just sensational. Him leaving the mound, that place goes absolutely nuts. It was also the Tulowitzki bases clearing double that put them up four nothing. It was just a sensational game with their season on the line, um, albeit a, a series they'd eventually drop to that Amish guy that stole that home run ball at to Kauffman Stadium. The old Marco Estrada, like that guy, that guy made the most of being. You, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you take a look at some of the underlying metrics on Marco Estrada. That guy made the most of unsustainable pitching. Like he was a big time fly ball guy, and somehow was able to turn that into three or four really good seasons. He got a he got a big contract out of it. Like usually guys who have success over a season when they're primarily fly ball guys, usually that comes back to roost. But he, he was able to have success for three or four seasons. I was a big Marco Estrada guy. He, his changeup was one of the best pitches in baseball, and it might not have been better on any day in his life than it was for game five of that ALCS against the Royals. Uh, the guys that on the Royals would know it was, okay, he's going to throw the changeup. They're looking for the changeup, and they still were just looking like fools, off balance, soft contact all day. Uh, incredible stuff. But as you noted, like he was a guy that had the slimmest of margins. That fastball topped out around like 89, 90 miles an hour. So yeah. if something was a little bit off, he'd get crushed pretty hard. And that's what we saw more of beyond that uh, second contract that uh, he got from the from the Blue Jays. And I don't even believe he's got a job right now. I think last year he went somewhere as a, you know, a, a flyer, but not uh, not a guy that I believe's got work at this point. But it was an incredible game, and just to remember the the incredible just energy, anxiety, and the the, the fevered like craze of, uh, that the Blue Jays were in 2015, that first playoffs since 1993, 92. Incredible stuff. A uh, couple of texts before we move on to some sports-related topics at 960-960. Uh, was at that game, Pinder. It was unreal. Um, what else we got? Boys, just finished watching the Tiger King, and it was absolutely bonkers. Crazy people with hilarious drama. Very addictive. Um, I've heard about this. I don't know anything about it. Except Will that was talking, talking about the about Tiger King. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Let me just quickly uh, Google a synopsis. Um it's a Netflix movie, and that's about all I got. Um, the Tiger King. Oh, good. That's about all I got. They're, they're not giving me I'm writing it down. Wikipedia. I'm but, adding uh, it to my list. I'm going to get one more search here. Uh, it's called, called House of the Tiger King, apparently. No, apparently there's something completely different. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's one That's one wish list. Uh, that's one Put, uh, that's one show to put on the wish list. Uh, what else we got here? Our little secret is going to check on our RV, which is an old campground that's fenced in. Got in an hour walk with the dog and no people around us. Awesome. That's uh, good social distancing. Um, I don't know about Pat's taste in music, but I have to give him props for his suggestion of Better Call Saul. I never was interested in it until Pat's promotion of it. He's right. It's even better than Breaking Bad. That comes from Dan, so I've made a believer out of somebody on Better Call Saul. I truly believe the storytelling on that show is better than in Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad was elite. Um, is there something wrong with me? Found myself fist-pumping a clutch three-point basket during the replay of the Raptors' playoff run. Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're reliving it. You are. You're trying to. Uh, you're trying to bring yourself back to a time when there was actual sports. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. 
That was uh, game three was yesterday. They did game one on Friday. It's alternating between TSN and Sportsnet. So tonight will be game number four. Uh, I'm not. I'll, I'll check right now which network it's on. But it's kind of a cool thing to relive that run because it starts out so innocently where they drop game one against Orlando and you're like, ah, oh, these it's the same old guys that can't get a big win in the postseason. You know, oh, Lowry's going to choke and all of a sudden the belief starts to swing with, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard against the Sixers, and then on it goes. An incredible run. Yep, it was. Well, and remember, they even, didn't they lose game one to Milwaukee, too? And you're like, oh, geez, there's the big bad bucks. They're going to have trouble with them. And then all of a sudden would go on to, to beat Milwaukee and, and come away with uh, the big-time victory there before the epic run against Golden State. Um, so, yeah, and and I do uh, I do believe that we'll have some reliving for you on your radio tonight. Now, it's not yes. quite a playoff round, but you can relive one of the best Flames wins of this season so far tonight. We're going to replay going all the way back to December 27th, round one of this year's Battle of Alberta. This was kind of the prologue because round one – wasn't a whole lot that happened. It was a pretty dominant and decisive win for the Calgary Flames. They went into Edmonton, beat them 5-1, and Andrew Mangiapane, that line with him, Lindholm, and Kachuk was unbelievable that night, and they win that game by a 5-1 score. That was our Battle of Alberta road trip with uh, the folks at Wild Rose Brewery right. and New West Travel. Uh, so that's round one of the Battle of Alberta, but it's the prologue because round Round two, three, and four were epic, and uh, we don't know if we're going to get round five. We likely won't get round five this year. But, yeah, that's tonight at 6 o'clock. We've got the Flames and Oilers from December 27th. I'm excited about that, and that was one of the games I was uh, off on my Australian vacation with the family to visit the in-laws that I remember watching parts of from a pub at, like, noon local time over there. So I'll be uh, I'll be tuning in for that for sure. Speaking of Oz... They started the Australian Football League on time. They played a they played a bunch of games over the weekend um, with the full expectation that they're going to be suspended at some point. Um, and I was able to watch. I'm a big I'm a big Aussie Rules fan. Like I I quite enjoy the sport. Um, it has been suspended now. They got on their first weekend before it got suspended. But they were doing everything they could to get as many games in as they could before getting shut down. Turns out they only got one weekend in, but they were doing it in empty stadiums, and it was bizarre watching Aussie Rules football, knowing that it was live, but also knowing that very imminently they were going to be shut down. It was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. And empty stadiums, correct, for the opening weekend? Yeah, it was uh, all empty, so MCG and all the different spots completely empty. Um, they still had all the ads, and they had the, the full, um, the full. like, if you've ever seen an AFL broadcast, like, they've got 25 people broadcast teams, and they got, like, seven play-by-play guys, and they got six people on the field. Like, they make it a huge deal. Um, so I was able to do some live betting on some AFL this weekend. And so they, I should mention, oh. Bry, the – uh, Raptors and Magic Game Three is currently on Sportsnet One, so it's on okay. right now. There yes, you go. Blue Jays so rewind. This would be a replay of yesterday, probably. Yeah, yeah from last night, uh, from April twenty sixth, twenty nineteen, is on Sportsnet three sixty. It's the A's at the Blue Jays, and I should mention this for Flames fans: if so you want to watch some hockey tonight, a decent game from May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty nine. 
sees the Calgary Flames oh. at Montreal for game six of something I can't remember. It was a few years before my birth. Uh, that's going to be on Sportsnet uh, now, West who, later on who tonight. Who scored the game-winning goal in that game? I mean, I know, but let's ask the guy that wasn't alive. Logo, do you know who scored the game-winner in that game? Um, I don't. Not Lanny. The, I know. The, I know it wasn't Lanny. The iconic, um, the iconic goal is Lanny uh, because he got back into that into that series. But the actual game-winning goal, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Pinner, is but it? I believe it was Doug Gilmore no, who yeah. scored the the game-winning goal in uh, in Game Six against the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, yeah, I assumed it was Lanny, but that's the one that iced it. It wasn't the one that stood as the winner, right? Uh, no, I believe Lanny's was the one that put him in front. Um, okay. And I believe that made it 2-1, but they ended up winning 4-2, so the 3-1 goal ended up being the game winner, and it was Gilmore huh. who scored the game winner. So that's why uh, Patter, McDonald, and two from Gilmore. Uh, Gilmore's third-period marker on the power play ended up being the winner. So it went Colin Patterson made it one nothing. Uh, in the first period. Claude Lemieux ties it in the second. Then Lanny, Lanny gives the Flames the lead back to make it 2-1. They'd never relinquish. Gilmore makes it 3-1 on the power play in the third. Rick Green gets the Habs it back within one, uh, 51 seconds later, and then Gilmore ices it into an empty net with 63 seconds to That's go. Right. I do know that that was Lanny's lone goal. It was. Correct? He, he barely played in that playoff run. Lanny was 36 at the time, and this was clearly his final season. But in game six, they made the switch, and in comes Lanny, and he scores. I would suggest that that's the most iconic goal in Calgary Flames history. That's no knock on the gent to uh, join the boys in the morning today. Marty Jelena scored three of them en route to three playoff series wins in 2004. But uh, that that goal in game six, the biggest goal ever scored in, in Calgary Flames history, that put the Flames ahead for good, and they never relinquished and won their only Stanley Cup. That's And just the, Pinder, we were talking about it last week, just seeing Lanny uh, dancing after scoring that goal, you're like, that's an iconic goal. You know, that's that's etched into Calgary Flames lore for the rest of time. Yeah, that's an unforgettable like you you just just that freeze frame of him coming out of the corner, arms up with that look on his face, and that was when you could really start to believe that they might be the first ever team to raise a cup in the Montreal forum that wasn't from Montreal. Uh, I, I have a, a curious stat for you guys, because actually NHL.com has the game center for these games. Okay. Uh a guess on how many penalty minutes were in the cl- the cup clinching game for between the Habs and the Flames. How many penalty I'll minutes? I'll say yeah. zero, just because it's got to be weird. Well, no, there was at least one power play because the Flames went one for four the on the power play. play. I'm going to so say there was one penalty. Uh, there was. I can do my math. Fifty-six minutes of penalties in what? Game Six. Jeez, so there's misconducts in there. The Flames had twenty-four. Penalty minutes and the halves with thirty-two. Must have been so. Remind me again, Logan, where we're going to air this game again? Uh, It is going to be across the Sportsnet Television Network starting at four o'clock today. Yes, they have uh, Blue Jays nineteen ninety-two ALCS game four at six, and uh, the ninety-three Stanley Cup playoff game between the Leafs and the Kings game six later on tonight as well. 
Uh, big part of that uh, 32 it. that uh, was it 32 penalty minutes from the for the Habs. Big part of that yeah. was Cla- Claude Lemieux wasn't happy at the end of the game, <laughs> took a roughing penalty and then a misconduct after the uh, Flames were up late. So Claude Lemieux, uh, big part of that, uh, big part of those 32 minutes. He ended up with a 12 of them when it was all said and done. Um, speaking of the Flames. Remember on Friday, Rye, we had conversations with a couple of defensemen that were signed by the team. Colton yeah. Pullman uh, and Connor Mackey, both college free agent signings, both left shot defensemen. We had Brad True Living on. He said they, they do have another guy that they're chasing, another uh, college free agent forward that they're working on, and hopefully they were uh, going to announce something in the next couple of days. I believe the Flames are out on that guy. I don't believe, I'm not sure who it was, but uh, I believe the Flames are no longer in on that player, so I don't believe there's any pending news on a, a potential. Uh, extra college free agent signing, um, but I'm not sure which player that was. I just I don't think they're in on that guy anymore. Yeah, interesting because I don't knowing this GM like he usually doesn't tease stuff that isn't pretty close. So I wonder if there was a change of heart or just maybe down to the final two teams and the Flames felt like they had the upper hand. But um, that said, they they got they got the the bell of the ball. Uh, Connor McKay was the guy that everyone wanted. 28 of 31 teams I saw reported on the weekend checking in and try, certainly expressing interest that, that he ends up a flame as a coup for this organization. I, I completely agree. I like I like both those signings from Friday. Two, uh, two more texts before we hit the break. Ryan Pike joins us around the corner. Uh, damn, Pat, spoiler alert, now there's no reason to watch. I know who scored in Game 6 in 1989. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm that's like the person who got mad at me for saying that Easy E dies and straight out of Compton. You're like, what? I'm not spoiling. I, I can't spoil a real life movie. This is a like a, it's a biopic. I can't I can't spoil what actually happens. Easy E is actually no longer with us. That's not a spoiler. Um, this reads: Gilmore had a decent career with and won something with the Flames, but is known more as a, more as a Leaf. Yes, that's what'll happen when you go and have success in Toronto. We only um, played four four years for the Flames, anyways. Sounds about right. Out of like before. a twenty some year career, almost. But at his most success from a uh, winning standpoint as a member of the Calgary yeah, Flames. Fair. Uh, yeah, Blues, Flames, Maple Leafs. Before he bounced all over um, to finish Devils, off his year. Black Finally. Hawks. People need to watch, not because they know who wins. They need to watch to see all the contact and how many times the goalies get plowed over uh, tonight when oh they watch gosh. Game 6. It was a different game in 1989, a completely different game than uh, where we are in 2020. Okay, we're underway on Pinder and Steinberg, three different locations. He's Logan Gordon. He's Pinder. My name is Steinberg. Up next, our weekly chat with Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. He's coming up next. Elliot Friedman at the top of the hour as well. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Quick reminder, Pinder and Steinberg running two till six in this uh, new bizarre world that we're running in. Usually we 
go one to six. But uh, we're going four hours in the morning with Boomer Will and the gang, and then two to six in afternoons. Don't forget tonight we've got game one of this year's Battle of Alberta, round one of this year's Battle of Alberta. Flames and Edmonton Oilers back on December 27th. You can tune into that broadcast tonight here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Pat Steinberg along with you. Let's say hello to our good buddy Ryan Pike from Flames Nation and FlamesNation.ca. Hello, Piker. How is uh, pandemic self-isolation treating you? Well, Pat, I've gotten a lot of cleaning done. That's, uh, That's basically it. Oh boy, how's it like video games? Are we talking binge watching? Like the you got to give us a little something of everything. More than cleaning, little bit, I, I'm uh, I'm finally working my way through Witcher Three, which is just addictive as all heck. But I'm very bad at it, so I keep dying. You know, you know how it goes. <laughs> You're like me. I, what, the, the older you get, what, how old are you? You're like what thirty thirty five? Yeah, I think we're about the same age. Are you an eighty four? I'm eighty five. In 85, okay. So, yeah, you're like, once you get to this age, you can't play video games anymore. It's like as, as soon as you get to a certain age, you lose the ability to play video games like you were able to as a child, um, and that's exactly the way I'm at. I still, like when I play them, I enjoy them. I just need to put them on the very easiest setting with auto-aim and the least accurate enemies that's the only way i can play video games because and, and I'm, uh, you know I'm i so I, I grew up on on the old school zelda and you know i'm the type of person where you know if there's like spells or anything I, that's not my game i just go in with a sword and blindly flail and hope i don't die well yeah like uh, there's some games where you need to be stealthy and like you can do a good job of not getting into firefights if you're stealthy or something like that no i don't bother with that i just end up getting caught and then shoot my way out of it um let's uh let's talk some calgary flames we did get some hockey news from the flames on friday as a pair of college free agents were signed give us uh, your take on the acquisitions or i guess the additions of colton pullman and connor mackey who the flames signed to contracts out of college on friday well uh, pullman seems very much the type of defense and they don't have a lot of in the system in the sense that you know they they don't really have a lot of guys that are meat and potatoes shutdown guys where you know pullman you know he's he fits in that age group where they have some guys already but he's a bit more polished than some of the other guys. He's kind of like, he kind of reminds me of Alexander Yeltsin in the sense that, you know, I don't know if there's high, high end finesse in Colton Pullman's skill set, but, you know, he's been absolutely, you know, a, a rock for UND the last couple of years. He was the captain for two years. And he's just one of those guys where you start him out in the defensive zone and you don't have to worry about them getting the puck out. He just takes care of it. And in today's NHL, when there's so much of an emphasis on, you know, moving the puck out, you know, out of the defensive zone, something that the Flames, let's be honest, weren't particularly great at at times this year. Having a guy who has that as his forte might not be a bad thing. You know, he, I think he, you know, right away because of the skill set becomes potentially a contender to get some minutes on the third pairing more, more, you know, potentially sooner rather than later because he has a kind of skill set that not a lot of guys have. Granted, a lot of that depends on what else they do uh, this off season, but I like that. I like that pickup. It's it seems pretty low risk. Uh, I, I'm falling in love with Connor Mackey more and more the more I watch uh, videos of his game. Where you know he's, I don't know if he has the upside of a Valamaki or a Shillington, but I just think that his floor is pretty high in terms of he's smart. He can move the puck. He can move his feet. He thinks the game really well. It's just a question of 
can all the things that he does well at the collegiate level translate to the NHL level where everyone's super fast and super smart and super talented? And you don't know until you try him out, but I think he's the type of guy that uh, if you can get players like that to come play for you and potentially play for you for a year or two on the cheap, he allows you the ability to allocate your money elsewhere in the lineup. So um, I'm a big fan of the Mackey move. Uh, the Flames habitually haven't hit home runs trying to lure these college kids here. They've been really good at getting their college draftees to sign here with the potential exceptions of Adam Fox and Brandon Hickey. But for the most part, they've been you know, really good at nailing the picks that they have in college. Just they've had some trouble getting the, the gems to come here, but two guys that uh, will definitely help them because, you know, it, you and I have talked about this uh, pretty much all year prospect wise, you know, the, the farm team depth right now is Carl Johan Lerby, who's played zero games in North America, Alexander Yellison, who's mm-hmm. played one season in North America and, you know, he was fine, but he's not going to really move the needle offensively. So if you have guys that have a bit more experience playing against grown-ass men in North America, you might as well get them, right? Uh, I appreciate the use of the term grown-ass men. That was well done. Um, the uh, Well, and the un- interesting thing when it comes to Mackey is that, you know, you talk to a lot of people who really pay attention to the college free agent uh, side of things. Like, this was this was one of the most highly sought after college free agents if not the number one potential college free agent out there this uh this spring so in a lot of ways you're right like we haven't seen the flames be able to hit on those type of guys all the time in the past but the fact they were able to convince Mackey to sign here and not with the numerous other teams that were interested in him that's uh that's a pretty big coup for brad tree living and company yeah and you know let's let's be honest last few years uh they, they've been pretty good. They're always in the middle of things. Like, you know, Taylor Hall, he's up, he's on the market. Flames in the middle of that. Mark Stone in, in up for market. Oh, Flames in the middle of that. Uh, you know, they got Spencer Fu. He didn't turn out amazingly well, but he played games. You know, they've, they've you know, Kenny Morrison when he was, uh, you know, he was a guy that was highly touted. But for the most part, the Flames are always, you know, they're, they've, they used to be an also ran, let's be honest. Uh, I think, during the, the Jay Feaster years, the Flames weren't really contenders for these big, big names, whether via trade, free agency, college free agency, European free agency, whatever you want to call it. They, yeah. they just weren't a destination. Whereas, you know, with, with Triliving, they've managed to get themselves into the thick of things in pretty much everything. And I think, you know, even the guys that you don't land, I think the fact that you're in those conversations puts you on the radar for a lot of things that you might not have gotten otherwise. So, uh, you know, good for them. They got, they got a they got a big fish, and I think, you know, now the question is, okay, cool, you got this done. Now there's a lot of other things you could do, knowing that you have a couple of guys that can play left side on the farm or potentially on the third parent. Well, okay, so then what? Let's let's go there. What do you think the? I guess the the organizational trickle down would be with adding these two players to the fold. That's a good question because, you know, uh, let's, let's be honest. If you get neither of these guys, well, you probably want to look at bringing back Michael Stone as your third-pairing guy and maybe a four-border Gustafson, and maybe you don't love the money you have to give to a four-border Gustafson to get them to stick around because, you know, for, for a third-pairing guy, you know, you probably don't want to be spending more than a million, million five. And probably for both those guys, you need to be, you know, spending, you know, four-port doesn't score a lot, so you'd probably be getting, you know, him at a 
decent discount, but Eric Gustafson's a hitter. Like he's he can you know run. The Flames, he was running the Flames power play for the last couple of weeks, so he's not going to mm-hmm. be cheap. So okay, he, he probably priced himself out of your third pairing, but now you potentially have between you know Oliver Shillington is not going to get a huge raise. He, he he's an RFA, but he doesn't have arb rights. So you know his counting stats, the NHL, his goals, his assists, his time on ice. They're going to blow your hair back. So even if he had Arb rights, he wasn't going to get a massive, massive payday. He'll get a raise, but I don't think he's going to make, you know, I think he's making 731 now. He'll be making, I don't know, nine, south of nine. He won't mean he's not going to get crazy money. Michael Stone, right. I think, you know, Michael Stone's already getting a paycheck for $1.2 million to not play for the Flames. Uh, I think he'd be completely satisfied with league minimum to be a 5 6 guy or a 6 7 guy. Okay. So that's not bad. That's that's inexpensive depth. But now instead of paying, you know, a million five, two million, two and a half million for a third pairing guy, potentially you have guys like, you know, Yellison was perfectly fine when he was here. He, that could be an option. Falanaki's making eight ninety next year. That's not too bad. You know he can play at this level, although there's a question of, you know, how he's gonna look when he comes back. Uh, you know, and then you have Pullman at uh, I think eight forty three and you know, nine nine twenty five for Mackey. Those are all some pretty nice, inexpensive options. You have four or five guys in the mix that you like, that you think you know, that you can mix and match with. And then potentially, you know, you're in a position where maybe Brody and Hammock walk, and then maybe you do like Gustafson, depending on who he, who he's going to play with on a second pair and working on the power play. And all of a sudden, yeah. the money makes a little bit more sense. And maybe, you know, now now you don't really need to bring back both of Brody and Hamannick, or not necessarily you don't need to bring back either one. So I think they're in a position now where with the way guys are slotting, you don't really need to be forced to make financial decisions that you don't want to make. And I think having that flexibility built into the next few months is going to be pretty big for the team. I wonder what, you know, you talk about Forbert and Gustafson specifically. I wonder what the feel is from the organization or or even from the gm i wonder what the feel is because they did give up assets to bring both those guys in does that i wonder if that might make it a little bit more urgent to resign one or both of those guys just because they brought them in for a reason they're very likely only going to end up with what five or six games when it's all said and done as members of the Calgary Flames. I just wonder if there's a little bit more urgency to bring players like that back for another year because they did give up assets. It's not like it's not like Tampa Bay. They didn't give up first round picks to bring in guys that likely are going to be done at the end of the year. I just wonder how that changes the conversation about how the Flames look at Derek Forbert. And I, I think maybe more specifically at a guy like Eric Gustafson. And I, I think the challenge there is, like, if the idea is, like, let's be blunt, their best defense is 36 years old, Mark Giordano. Come, you know, a year removed mm-hmm. from Norris. He wasn't amazing this year, but he wasn't terrible. Like, on, on the sliding scale of 36-year-old defenseman, he was amazing. So if the idea is he's an important asset to the team for many reasons on and off the ice, and at the very least, you want to help him age gracefully, you want him to be able to call a shot and not have a prohibitive drop-off to his game – the idea of, okay, take away some of his high leverage minutes and, you know, make it so that he doesn't have to play 25 minutes a game at 37 years old next season. So if you can look at, say, maybe he, maybe he goes from being the top pair, you know, the, the top pairing guy, the second pairing guy, maybe he goes from being 
running the first unit power play and running the second unit. I kind of like the idea of Gustafson and more and more, just the idea of, you know, uh, in terms of team culture with all the Swedes, he's a fit in terms of just playing style. They don't have a guy that does what he does. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the power play was bottom third of the league with, you know, let's be honest, an embarrassment of riches. You know, you had a Kachuk, a Kadrow, a Monahan. You had all these pieces you can throw there, and it just didn't click all season. Like, it was, you know, the penalty kill worked all year. So if you're trying to convince me, hey, bring back everyone who worked P- the PK for next season because it worked, you know, that's not a bad argument. If you look at the power play and go, hey, you want to bring back everybody? I go, uh but they were expensive and they weren't particularly good. Why would you want to bring everybody back or bring back the same group of guys? I'm, I'm very, very, uh, I can be talked into a Gustafson deal very quickly because of how important the, the power play can be and needs to be for the team to be successful going forward. So I can see them doing that. Right. I don't, you know, and, and honestly the condition of that's probably going to be, you know, you're giving up a third regardless of, you know, whether he signs or not. So, you might as well do it or you might as well take a long look at it and figure out if there's anything in your system that can really change your minds. And, you know, looking at the the guys who are available in free agency, I don't know if you're going to find somebody that can run your power play as effectively or as uh, cost effectively as potentially Gustafson would. He's Ryan Pike from Flames Nation, joins us on Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Um we we were waiting to see whether or not there might be another college free agent that uh, might end up in the Flames organization here. Uh, Brad True Living kind of told us that they were uh, hot on the tails of another forward. They were hoping to add somebody else um, before this um, before the college free agent signing period kind of cools down. Sounds like the guy that they were in on. I don't know who it was, but it uh, sounds like they're no longer uh, in on that guy. So uh, I'm curious if there's any other names. Are there any other names that you've got your eye on from a college free agent standpoint? Any other players? You're, you're pretty up on rumors and reporting from elsewhere around the league. Anything else that catches your eye from a flame standpoint in that regard? Not really. I think most of the heavy hitters have sort of calmed down. I think uh, some teams might be waiting to see what happens with the Hobie Baker award and maybe making overtures after that, because, you know, uh, the talking, you know, you you and I have talked to a lot of the Flames college players for years. We talked to, you know, a lot of the college free agents. Usually the, the, the watchword we get, the the keyword we get from them when we talk to them at development camps or otherwise is, Oh, I think let's do it college. So, you know, this year, no one's going to win the NCAA championship, and I can see a lot of guys who are in their second or third year of college, maybe they want to come back for another year because they want to have the full experience, and it kind of sucks coming out of college and not even getting a chance to play in the tournament. Uh, so I can mm-hmm. see that. But for a lot of guys, if you've already had a really good college career and your thought process is maybe I'll win the Hobie Baker, maybe I won't, you know, if you've made the, if you've made the final 10 as a junior or as a sophomore, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be in the mix you know, the next year too. So maybe if you win it, you go, cool, Jerry, on top of my college career, I'm going to go pro who wants me. And maybe you, you want to stick around for a bit if you were the runner up. So I could see that kind of thing be gone. But other than that, I think college is starting to cool down now. And uh, we're going to be probably starting to hear more and more from European signings pretty soon. Anybody uh, from the European side, who are the big names on the European signing market? Oh my goodness. So many, so many Russians. So many Russians, uh, a, lot, a lot of the sort of older Russians, you know, Nikita Nestrov, I think his name been kicked around. 
uh, Alexei Marchenko, like a lot of a lot of big KHL scorers. But you know, I, I think it's hard for me to get excited about KHL guys, mostly because you know it's it's so challenging for them to sort of bring things that work there over here. Some guys really do it and do it really well, Yager, uh, and some guys struggle to do it. So we'll see. But uh, I think we're going to probably start hearing a bit more as uh, things start calming down in Europe. And I think, you know, I'd say in a few weeks, months, whatever, you know, traditionally you hear a lot of the European signings in April and May because the the KHL, I think the KHL season, contracts start expiring at the end of April, same with the, the Swedish leagues. So you'll see a lot, probably a lot of announcements and signings probably in about a month because that's when contractually, legally, everyone can start doing things out in the open. So right now it's a bit of a holding pattern, but I guarantee you conversations are happening. Right. With Ryan Pike of flamesnation.ca. Uh, what, uh, what is happening right now on Flames Nation? What do we, uh, I've got one thing that I want to ask you about in just a second on a specific article that uh, has just been put up there. But uh, what, what are you working on right now at Flames Nation? I know it's uh, a lean time for everybody right now. What are you talking about? There's so many things to talk about, Pat. Uh, I have a thing coming up probably tomorrow where I'm going to look at, uh, you know, we, we, you know, a lot of it has been made about the upcoming expansion drafts and how great a job uh, the Vegas Golden Knights did, sort of leveraging pretty much everybody they got. They did a fantastic job of asset management. So I was curious, uh, if you go back to 1972, what did Cliff Fletcher have to have to show for his expansion draft? Uh, you know, they, they ended the same year as the New York huh. Islanders, and a lot of stuff happened. And I think the, the results of a lot of wheeling and dealing and, you know, a lot of chaos involving the WHA and, you know, there was an expansion draft in 1974, two years later, and then they had another draft a couple of years later when all the WHL teams got folded into the league. So the 1970s were chaos in the NHL, and it's, it was super interesting to sort of see how that chaos impacted the Flames asset management as they tried to go from being, you know, a, a punching bag and an expansion team into, you know, they eventually turned into one of the powerhouse teams of the 80s. They did, no doubt about it, and uh, kind of coincided with their move to Calgary that they turned into that powerhouse. First year in Calgary, they won a couple playoff rounds before uh, eventually bowing out. Um, last thing for you, and, and at Flames Nation late last week, I put up my five best value contracts on the Flames this year. I went with uh, last year's number one, Elias Lindholm moved from number one to number two, and a, a new guy on top at $715,000. Andrew Mangiapane was uh, my number one best value contract. What uh, what did you think of that decision? Agree or disagree? Well, I mean, for about for what uh, a quarter of the money, a fifth of the money, almost a sixth of the money, uh, he ended up scoring almost as much even strength as Elias Lindholm. Uh, you know, for a guy that got pretty much no special teams time until like the last twenty percent of the season. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of a lot of guys that were better value on in both ends of the ice. I mean, you know, Majapani, he was, you know, good in his own end, pretty good in, in the neutral zone. And, you know, he was one of the more consistently deadly players in the offensive zone, regardless of who they put him with. So uh, I don't, I think it's difficult to argue uh, with your number one pick. 
I like it. It was a fun article to write. It's just too bad that we don't have more hockey to talk about right now. Uh, maybe soon. Maybe soon we'll find out that there is some hope. But as it stands right now, we remain in this holding pattern. Great stuff, as always, Mr. Pike. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for talking some hockey with us on Pandemic Radio. Very well, buddy. He is Ryan Pike from Flames Nation and FlamesNation.ca. Joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. Bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup and delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. An update on Pinder's NHL 94 simulated Calgary Flames season. What you've all been waiting for. Next, it's Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Well, here we are. Day 12 of the sports apocalypse. My name is Ryan Pinder, Pat Steinberg from his house. I'm in my uh, wife's office. I'm yet to tweet the picture yet. We'll do so. And uh, Logan Gordon live from our Basement Systems downtown studios. Patty, good news uh, for the Flames is uh, we've simulated their Saturday game against the Tampa Bay Lightning on uh, NHL 94 on Sega Genesis. Well, it's a very differently constructed Tampa team because they're in the very, very early expansion days. Uh, Wendell Young is their netminder. And like Brian Bradley, Chris Contos, John Tucker or Steve Casper up front. Uh, Bob Beers, Roman Hammerlick on the back end. It's not pretty. Flames uh, heavy favorites at home and just coasted to an early 3-0 lead. Hung on for a 4-2 win. Lightning got an empty netter with uh, less than a minute left to make it look close. 4-2 your final. And Al McInnes out of the doghouse, Pat. That's good. You've been a, you've been really hard on McInnes. I don't agree with your criticism. I think that you're being overly harsh on him. Um, but that's I'm, I'm glad that you're willing to give credit where it's due. Couple goals in the first period to pace the Flames to a three nothing start. Uh, our experiment up front it went a little awry when uh, Gary Roberts got hurt. He left the first, was ready to go in the second, but it's the expansion Lightning, so we just left Newendike down the middle for the rest of the game. And Robert Reichel has been just okay. I might reevaluate that uh, decision. Reichel in and Newendike on the bench as Gary Roberts will be good to go uh, for the second game of this homestand tonight. Can we just back up for a second? What was the word that you just used? You tell me. Auri? The ex- the, the no. Auri? Awry. Awry. That's when... Well, I know awry, but uh, there's, that's there's how other you spell words, it. too. That's how you spell okay. it. Like, like, and I've, I, like, so I've got a few of them that I've always... So I always thought when I would ever, I would, whenever I would read infrared, like I knew infrared, but I always thought it was infrared. So whenever I'd be like reading a book, it would always <laughs> be infrared. Uh, misled was always misled when I would read it. So you're like, what? Misled? Somebody, what does that mean? And then uh, the big one that Rob <laughs> Kerr, Rob Kerr um, fixed this for me because it's a big word in like UK writing. So if you're reading Formula One or, or rugby or, or football news, soccer news, they always use the term R-O-W as like a fight or a disagreement. I thought it was a row. It's a row. Um, so it's like, row, yeah, these guys sense. are in a row together. I always thought it was in a row together. Kerr's like, what did you just say? I was like, a row. He's like, you mean a row? I'm like, I had no idea. So then I just helped you. A-W-R-Y is awry. There you are. So I was halfway between saying awry and owly. I, I don't know. It was not pretty. 
As soon as I said it, I wondered what that was. Uh, but the Flames have now won four in a row and uh, rolling nicely. Mike Vernon, well, rock solid. It's a big win, too, no because complaint. it is come back, coming out off of a three-game road trip where they swept it, feeling good about themselves. That first game back home can usually be difficult. Come out with a really good effort like that. I think this team's turned a corner, Rye. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, not always fun allowing that late goal, but it made it 4-2. But uh, probably flatters the visitors more than they should have been that score. Uh, this game was iced early, and next up for the Flames, uh, it's, a, it's an ugly little run of expansion clubs. They get San Jose tonight and then Anaheim on Wednesday. So they, they go three in a row of these early 90s expansion clubs, the Lightning, Sharks, and Ducks three in a row. Now that only leaves them with four games beyond that stretch in the remainder of their uh, regular season, which we're simulating uh, for logistically the most accurate purposes on NHL 94. Doesn't get more accurate than that. Okay, Elliot Friedman coming up next, our NHL insider. We'll see how he's holding up as the uh, sports apocalypse continues. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. As an essential service, Calgary Lock and Safe has a duty to protect the public. During this pandemic, they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Elliot, interesting news out of Ontario today. It looks like uh, you're headed for a lockdown tomorrow at midnight. Uh, I guess uh, maybe start us off with uh, just a sense of what life is like in Toronto right now. You know, Ryan, I I think it has to happen. Um, uh, To be honest, you know, I, I think the governments have been pretty slow to act. It's you know, you just played a clip at the top there while we were waiting for me to come on about how the how Trudeau is saying, uh, you know, we've got to pay attention here. I mean, you know, if people aren't going to act, you're going to have to force them to act. And, um, you know, people are really worried. They're really struggling. We're all kind of wondering about where we're going to go here. And if people aren't going to listen, you have to force them to listen. So I totally understand. And, I support it. Um, the economy, there's enough worries that um, we have to try to get out of this as fast as we can. Uh, and so what do you expect here? Is this going to be chaos for the next, like, what, 36 uh, or I guess 30 hours trying to get prepared for an actual lockdown here as people have to get everything done, be it fill up the car or get uh, stocked up on booze and food and all the essentials? Well, I think, I guess it could. But, you know, Ryan, I think a lot of people have, uh, you know, some of my coworkers, David Amber, sent me a picture. He was out shopping for groceries a couple of days ago, and it was like he, there was a huge lineup there. And um, so I, I think it's already kind of been like that. Um, I don't know if there's anything different that's occurred here, that's going to occur here. I mean, I'm sure there will be people rushing and will be people racing. But the fact is that don't forget, the grocery stores and the um, uh, pharmacies are going to stay open. Those mm-hmm. are essential. So it's not like, okay, put it this way. We know people will overreact, but I don't know if they really need to. What is your day-to-day look like in terms of uh, the network that obviously you're in touch with, GMs, people in upper management, NHL front office and NHL league office people? What have those conversations been like uh, over the last few days? Well, I think we're in a time of pessimism. 
Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'll put it this way. Like, you know, people are bored. I'm getting a lot of, I'm getting more jokes sent to me on emails than any other time in my life. I think I can tell you <laughs> that. Um, you know, people were trying to find things to amuse ourselves. A lot of people uh, um, texting each other. Okay, uh, what haven't you watched on Netflix yet that, you know, maybe I can watch? Um, you know, all that stuff is kind of out there. Um, but, you know, I, I think people are... To me, I think right now this is a really pessimistic time, and and the reason is look look what's going on out there. We're we're asking for people to, um, you know, take the pandemic seriously, and you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't look like they're taking it really that seriously, and mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people kind of wondering and worrying, you know, what's this going to mean? How long is this going to take? And uh, I, I think that's kind of where we are right now. We don't. We probably won't have the answers for another couple of weeks, maybe a month. And I think that's very hard for people. You know what, guys? We're used to certainty. We want certainty in our lives. And we don't have certainty right now. And I don't think that's easy for people to react to. Elliot Friedman joins us Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Elliot, what, uh, where are we right now in terms of specifically the NHL? I know that I, uh, I just finished reading the Q&A they put out there earlier today. Uh, I've been reading that over the last couple of hours. Uh, I believe there were more Board of Governors conversations in the last 24 hours or so. Today. Yeah. Conference call today. So what can you tell us? What are you hearing from an NHL-specific standpoint? Well, I, I think one of the things I'm hearing is that, um, you know, like, there, I think there's a feeling that this, I think the hope initially was, and they put this on the Q&A fact, you know, could they have a training camp begin again or small workouts begin again by the end of April? Um, you know, last week uh, the NBA had a conference call um, with <laughs> where they had the former Surgeon General on the call and he was saying, you know, maybe you play in June or July. Um, I, I think people are kind of concerned about the fact that it might have to be even longer than that. So I think that the initial reactions I'm getting are, you know, are what reasonably are we looking at in terms of when the puck can be dropped again at best? And I think people are always worrying now, are those timelines getting pushed back? Well, and I mean, and, and I know this is a, a hypothetical I'm about to ask you, but, I mean, you take a look at New York and their governor saying that lockdown measures might have to be as long as nine months. There's three teams in the New York area, two potential playoff teams there. Uh, there are a number of other, you know, pretty hard-hit hot spots right now. Assuming that there are some places that are cleared, though, and assuming that, you know, you've got, say, there's five or six or seven or eight NHL markets that you can safely play games in, like, would the NHL be prepared to move multiple teams into certain markets? Like, would they be willing to do anything it takes to make sure they can play hockey again this season? I, I think that has been discussed, uh, Pat, at, at both the NHL and the NBA. 
Like I've heard rumors of that. Now, I think, you know, we have to be very careful with this. uh, It's very difficult to know at this point in time what is real and what Mm -hmm. is just, you know, here's an idea. And I think at this point in time, it's it's very hard to say um, what what is real and what is an idea. I, I think there are a lot of things kind of being thrown around. Like, what if we do this? What if we do that? Um, mm-hmm. What if we go to somewhere where it's the first place to get cleared or the population isn't as high, so maybe they don't have as many cases? Yes, I do think that has been discussed. I mean, the other thing you could do is if you don't think you're going to be able to play in in front of fans anyway, do you go somewhere where it's maybe not even an NHL city, but you know it's clear if you can get the permission to do it? Um, I think all of that stuff, Pat, is on the table. I, I just think at this point in time, it's too soon to know if there's a yeah. yes or no answer to any of this stuff is is the like is it is it get the season back underway have some sort of semblance of games remaining this year is is that at all costs or you know if if it is looking like that that might be too much of a logistical nightmare would they be okay with calling the season and officially canceling it i don't think they'll I, i don't think they would be okay with that until like, like, like I, I try to put myself in the way of what do you think of running the league? Okay, so mm-hmm. here's the thing. You know, if you're the NBA and the NHL, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, okay, look at the news today with the Olympics. We're not having Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys sure. disagree with me at all on this one? No, no, we definitely are not having Olympics. We're there's, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely so, with you. So we're not. So that eliminates one thing because if you're having Olympics, then you're sitting there and you're saying, "Okay, we got to get this done by July 24th," because that's when the Olympics were going to start. Now mm-hmm. you're saying, "Okay, when do we want to get?" The, now that's gone. So if the Olympics are out, but you know, you get information in June or July that says you're able to play. Now you're thinking, okay, we can do this. And, you know, you're, you're thinking, can we get this in maybe before the NFL season starts or the NFL season really kicks into high gear? I mean, we, people are going to be starving for sports. Yep. And, if, and what, what are the two leagues that are going to be in the best position to give you meaningful games? the NHL, and the NBA. And they have crossover, sure. There are some people who love both, but they also have very different fan bases. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're doing, until you're told you can't play in July or August, you are sitting here and saying, we're going to play in July and August until we're told otherwise. How much of a, like, just from who you've spoken to and people in the league that you're in contact with, like how much of a moving target, rapidly evolving thing is it even for them behind closed doors right now? In terms of what? 
just in terms of all the different, like we get news that changes on a daily basis. I just wonder how much of a, okay, we thought we could do this. That's changed. Now maybe we can do that. I just wonder like logistically in the NHL's head offices, how many different moving parts they have and, and what changes on a daily basis there. Uh, sorry. I just got a text. Someone just said to me that the Memorial Cup and the playoffs are going to be canceled around six o'clock Eastern. In the uh, in the CHL, wow, hey, yeah. And that was one thing that we were uh, we were news. waiting to. I guess that is breaking news. We were waiting to see what was going to happen with the CHL playoffs, and because they all canceled their regular seasons, but we weren't sure what was going to happen from a playoff standpoint. That's pretty big news, isn't it? Uh, yes, that is big news. What's your initial so, reaction to it? Well, I don't know how anybody could be surprised. Yeah. It's true. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much hope there was in being able to, uh, to to resume the season. We're with Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. He joins us Mondays just after 3 o'clock on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, how is the league going to deal with incredibly low revenues this season even if they resume a portion of it maybe they don't get any of it in are they actually going to ask players to cut checks here or or will this do you think become part of a bigger cba negotiation uh that will maybe encompass this year and next year as well well i think that there's there's a couple of things here that um i i think that first of all the players know that if there's no playoffs to be played, their escrow is at 14% this year. They're worried it could go up to about 35%. Now, I think there may be a willingness to talk about the CBA and spread this out over several years or work something out that could help fix it, but it's part of a larger conversation. I think right now one of the things that might be going on is that one of the things that might be going on is that um, uh, they the players have another paycheck in a week, and then they have one in the middle of April, but that counts, I think, for four days. I, I think there's some talk as to whether or not the players may not take that paycheck, um, that last one, just maybe to ease some of the escrow concerns. Someone told me that's also been discussed in the NBA that the players also don't take their last paycheck, a, sh- a shorter one, for the same kinds of reasons. Uh, they have a cap in the NBA. The players don't on escrow in the NHL. Um, you know, we'll see where that goes. But I do think there will be a larger conversation about, you know, between the, the CBA, the salary cap, uh, the Olympics, the escrow. I do think there's going to be a lot of conversations about how everyone is going to have to be willing to work together to get through all of these, um, all of these different situations. I think the teams in the league and the players know that a falling cap and a high player escrow, it's not great for anyone. And um, I, I think what kind of happens there is that they're going to have to work together to make it as to ease it as much as they possibly can. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be pain. I mean, we're all going to feel economic pain here one way or the other, but I think they are going to work together to make it as easy as possible. Look, the NFL just did a 10-year CBA. 
And it's hard to believe that some of that didn't happen because of uncertainty over what's about to come. I, I don't see if the NFL players were worried about some of that. I don't know how any other league couldn't be worried either. The NBA has a clause in their CBA, I believe force majeure it's called, where essentially an act of God, they can tear up the CBA. Are you familiar with any sort of similar type clause that the NHL may or may not have? Uh, I believe it is there, but I've, I'm not under the impression that uh, I asked somebody about that. And, um, you know, the whole thing with that NBA one is that the Players Association sent that note out to all the players to be aware of the possibility of it. I don't get the sense at this point in time that they were necessarily expecting the league to do that. I have asked. And I have been told that that's not really something that's being considered uh, right now. Uh, okay, Elliot, anything else that uh, is front of mind before we say goodbye and uh, I guess leave you to the pending lockdown in Ontario? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't think so. I'm sorry, guys. I. This is like with the Koskinen thing. I've got my, my mind half on one thing. As I, <laughs> this is good. As I work through this. It's breaking news. It's funny, Elliot. It. I, I just I just got uh, – it's funny. Uh, as you said that, um, I got uh, two texts from uh, people that I am familiar with in the Western League that have confirmed that news from you. So um, so there you go. It uh, looks like the playoffs and Memorial Cup will officially uh, be canceled, broken by, live on our airwaves, Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada. You did even – though, uh, even though you were doing 13 different things at once, you still broke some news. Yeah, but none of them were good. So, like, you can do it. You can do a lot of different things, but none of them well. <laughs> I'd say you're the Jack best of buddy. all. Jack of all trades, master of none. That's how I've gotten yeah, to where I am me, in my life. Yes, that is me. <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. All right, See guys. You, take care. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. As an essential service, Calgary Lock and Safe has a duty to protect the public. During this pandemic, they will continue to provide essential break-in service in the safest manner. Visit CalgaryLockAndSafe.com. Can't be a surprise, right, that uh, the uh, the Memorial Cup has been canceled. I just, it's too bad. I mean, in a lot of ways, the perfect place to hold the MasterCard Memorial Cup is is in Kelowna, B.C. It's a, a, it's a, a perfectly oh. isolated uh, community, isolated in the sense, sense that there's nothing else really there, that the, the Rockets are the big thing. It's a big community, but it's not too big. It w- is perfectly sized to host something as big as the Memorial Cup, it's a, and, and they would make it a big deal. They'd host it, right? I know the Rockets themselves uh, were in a little bit of hockey turmoil as the host team and, and really disappointing in that regard, but that's uh, not like we were expecting the Memorial Cup to be able to be played come May, but it's just another really disappointing piece of news to see that the CHL playoffs and the Memorial Cup is indeed going to be canceled, but I, I don't know how surprised anybody can be by that. Well, I, the other thing that makes Kelowna so appealing is you kind of alluded to it, like they're the big dogs there, but it's also the last week of May in the Okanagan. You can get some gorgeous weather there. It's a place, as oh, yeah. you said, that there's no distractions about other, you know, nothing else is going to matter. It's not like hosting it in Vancouver or Calgary or a market where there's bigger and 
you know, higher profile leagues at play. That, that was going to be something special. And now I guess we await to see whether they postpone it a year in Kelowna, sort of like we're expecting the IOC to do with the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, uh, or whether I, – I, I don't know that they could really skip the WHL slot here after all the work that's gone in. I mean, I would be expecting them to say next summer Kelowna. Is that is that where your gut is as well? Yeah, that's what I would think too. It's just the only and, – and, and I don't think this would be a, a reason to not – go down that road because i'm completely with you it just makes sense to have it in Kelowna in 2021 as opposed to 2020 but like and and it wasn't going necessarily according to plan but big host you plan for 2020 you put so many pieces yeah. in place and your whole your whole cycle is is focused on that one year hosting and now right. all of a sudden it's getting pushed back. I, I wonder what that means. Lou, for instance, would be a guy who's far more in tune with that, but I wonder what that means just overall for the Kelowna Rockets and their overall hockey operations and the way they're building their team. But, yeah, I would suggest that it makes the most sense to just go back to Kelowna next year and allow that organization who bid on the Memorial Cup and was planning for the Memorial Cup to not have all that work go to waste. So I would suggest it's probably back there and just, yes, it's going to be different teams and a different season, but it, it still is going to be the same host city, you would hope, because they, they certainly deserve that. Yeah, it's supposed to be the OHL's turn next summer, but I, I just can't see uh, the three leagues agreeing on skipping a turn here. This is a very important you know, economic driver for all these leagues, for the host community. They've already invested so much time and resources into it. Uh, you postpone it a year and keep it in Kelowna. You'd hope that's the case, but you're right. I mean, in terms of what the Rockets would have been doing at the trade deadline, how they've organized their roster, uh, they're probably graduating a lot of guys that won't be there next year. So that's a, that's a wrinkle. But I think the bigger picture is making sure that city gets to celebrate junior hockey next year and that all the work that's gone in isn't thrown into the trash. So... We'll wait for that announcement there, but uh, more breaking news from Elliot on uh, with us. I love it. Good stuff. I I did think that it was. I I do think that there is a little bit of optimism you can take from what we just heard from Mr. Friedman. In that, I I really do think the NHL is going to. And you know, some people are are calling this selfish or dumb, but I understand it. I I think that the NHL and the NBA are both going to wait as long as humanly possible to officially cancel their seasons. And and I understand why because if there's a chance that they can even at a significantly pared down version as to what we're used to like say maybe the the nhl can run in in six cities and they can have a, a 16 team playoff tournament and and do it in some way we've never seen before just the ability to do that and the amount of excitement that would surround that i think that these leagues have to hold on to see if there's any chance to do so they're fully prepared to cancel the season at some point here but why do it when you don't have to if there's even yeah. a chance that maybe you can even if it is a semblance of what we're used to if you can do something i still think there's reason to hold off on canceling here's a thought for you pat and we don't know how this is going to go, so this is clearly operating with you know huge assumptions in place. But if, for example, Canada is hanging in there better and is much more um, you know a safe venue for public gatherings than the U.S., or let's say there's markets that are attached to the NBA aren't going to happen because there's enough NBA markets that aren't in good shape, I wouldn't even be surprised if they threw Quebec City a bone. I wouldn't be surprised if they host a, a four-team bracket 
in Quebec City in a 17,000-seat arena that was essentially built with an idea of wooing the NHL, not essentially, entirely. And that also it was a, a city that put forth, remember when the, the NHL opened its inbox to expansion submissions and proposals and they yep. accepted Vegas's. They wanted one from Seattle. They didn't get it. They did get one from Quebec City. Maybe this is a way to kick the tires on that market and how it potentially at least could show some enthusiasm. And you're also not going to people that are tapped out for paying for season tickets all year. That's a good, interesting little uh, test of the marketplace. And, and the other thing is, how are things going to go if, let's say, the state of Florida is hit really hard? Are people really going to drive to Sunrise and watch the Panthers, especially if Dale Talon's pulling apart that core? Like, I think they got to start looking at some alternatives for for a, a struggling markets. And the top of that list right now, in my mind, is the Florida Panthers. Yeah, and I, I I think that they're, you know, Elliot said, like, what about the if, if they are able, say even they do a four-team four tournament, they take the top four teams um that are division winners uh, on, on points percentage right now or, or your division like whatever they do something like that um and you take boston you take vegas you take whoever and you put them all in one city and or two cities and you play best of seven closed venue games like i i don't think that that's a crazy thing to do and you know maybe you see it and you're like i mean for instance I'm quite hopeful that that Alberta and and Calgary and that Quebec are and even even the two other prairie provinces in Saskatchewan and Manitoba like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Quebec, I'm quite confident's the wrong word but quite optimistic that we're going to be further ahead than a lot of our other North American neighbors here, specifically uh, to the south of us. But BC and Ontario, I'm worried about how it's it's going to take off in, in those two provinces. Whereas I think we're doing a really good job here of being able to flatten this thing and not let it have exponential growth. And even if we do see those big-time growth numbers, it sure does feel like they've got a really good feel on modeling as to how this thing is going to all play out. So say come July... You're, there's a good feeling in two or three Canadian cities that you can do this. Well, maybe you can have something like that, and it's it's going to suck for teams that were a uh, Tampa Bay or or a Calgary or a Vancouver or something like that that they they felt that they had real playoff aspirations. But you know, there's going to have to be sacrifices here. So if you can have something that looks similar to the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs, I think these two the, these two leagues are are just being smart in not outright canceling the season because of the financial resources they have and the ability to wait things out, unlike the AHL or the ECHL or, or the three CHL leagues. It's fascinating to see how this thing's going to play out. All right, well, you mentioned a bunch of the leagues. One of them that is on pause right now is the American Hockey League. We'll come back and check in with Cale McLean, head coach of the Stockton Heat. Exactly what does that waiting game look like, and what is the coach up to in a state that is one of the hot spots south of the border? That conversation's coming up. Pinder and Steinberg rolls on on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, back down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline we go and say uh, good day to head coach of the Stockton Heat, Kale McLean. Coach, uh, man, I can't imagine how much has transpired in the two weeks since we've chatted. It feels like about two years. Uh, first off, how are you? How's the family? And, and what are you doing to keep busy in Stockton? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Family is good. And 
we're uh, on isolation here in Stockton. Like everyone in California is on a quarantine. And so we are just making the best of our time. You know, as a hockey coach, this is time during the season or the winter that, you know, you usually miss a lot with your family. So you try to look at the silver lining and see that this is a good time to spend time with my daughter Ashton and my wife Carrie and just sort of enjoy each other a little bit and get some work done and sort of stay in touch with everything that's going on on the side and keep your fingers crossed that that everyone in the U.S. and in Canada can be as healthy as possible. Yeah, no question. What, uh, I guess, take us back to March 12th or whenever the you got the news that things were going to come to a halt. Where were you? How had things been going? And how did you deliver the news to your troops? Well, we actually, as you know, it, it sort of unfolded pretty quickly here in California and um, with the rest of the league. So we're at the arena one day, you know, on the 11th, sort of hearing a little bit of rumor and um, – not sure just with general like greater society things were starting to look different around california and with a the ahl um once we get into the i think it was thursday the 12th we you know started to hear more concrete ideas that things could change a lot of contact between brad pascal in calgary and ourselves so he kept us really abreast on everything that was going on at the uh, AHL level in terms of the management and the thoughts of the board of governors and everything. And so we kept the guys away from the rink that day because we knew that things, you know, were probably going to take a turn. So we just communicated with them from uh, their homes and kept them there. And as the day unfolded, things, uh, you know, went from sort of rumor to actually, you know, keep the guys out of the rink, stay out of any meetings and uh, let's start sort of isolating guys at home. So, as you know, that went from zero to 60 quite quickly at the professional hockey league level. So where are your players? Do you? I know that at the NHL level, level players have been granted permission to return to their hometowns, uh, some perhaps choosing to stay in the markets that they're playing in because perhaps they're safer there or because they don't want to travel. What's the status of your group? Uh, same same rules apply where uh, there we do have some players in our market, uh, but we have a lot of players that have gone home and uh, a lot of players that, you know, based on their comfort level and, and their ability to travel and the situation that they can be at at their respective uh, off-season homes, some elected to go to those places while there's a few that have remained here. Um, and so, you know, a little bit, a little bit of both, but I would say the majority of our players are at home and we're keeping in contact with them. Again, Brad Pascal has been excellent for us and just sort of relaying everything that we're, they're hearing at the NHL level and how that would apply to our players who are on NHL contract or our players who are, um, you know, American league contracts or PTOs and just getting the word out to them. We have a, we have a team app that we use and can communicate well. So, between our uh, group chats and our conference calls and our uh, notifications and individual phone calls to guys just trying to keep them abreast. And, and as you know, you know, it's tough for an athlete because they're really in limbo in terms of what they're, how they're trying to manage their time right now and their conditioning and everything. So, but it's, it's a lot tougher on many, many other sections of our society. So, 
no one's in a position to complain about it right now. And I imagine, given the state of California's um, you know level of concern, a lot of these players would have been heading home to 14-day quarantines, be it uh, you know self-administered or mandatory, depending where they're returning to. Uh, is that something that you've talked about a bunch with your players in terms of dealing with that or surviving those lonely hours for a, for a professional athlete? Yeah, it is something that we really wanted them to understand because the, at the beginning of this, uh, it was, you know, there was thought of some players to go home and we wanted guys to know as this unfolded quickly that they had to grasp that concept that, hey, you can go home now, whether it's to Canada or maybe it's to Europe, but you have to understand that you have an obligation to your society and the people in your life where, um, you know, especially coming from California, who's, which has had a lot of cases as a state, you need to make sure that you're, you know, following those guidelines and you can't have authorities come and check you in your home. You have to be a responsible member of society and make sure you do your best to stay away from others and um, ensure that you're not carrying anything into your family circles or your friend circles or anything like that. So we did really explain that to them and make sure they understood. And, and uh, as the, as the outlook, uh, you know, sort of took on a more uh, prolonged kind of um, uh, look, then I think that's when guys started to do the math and say, hey, if I go home, I might have to do quarantine. But, you know, at the end of that quarantine, there's a good chance that pro sports won't be rolling again, and at least they'll be back in my environment with my family and everything. Yeah, fair enough. I imagine probably one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, Sports have work stoppages all the time. You have long off seasons. Athletes are accustomed to not going to work in that sense. But to not be able to go to a gym, to not be able to get ice, this is probably a huge challenge, especially when we know how elite the conditioning levels of hockey players are to just be able to stay in something close to good shape, never mind game shape, if if this season is unpaused at the AHL or NHL level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for them, and and um, I think that the guys do a good a good job of recognizing that. Hey, well, it's a challenge. It's a it's a luxury that they're concerned about, as opposed to some of the real problems that are really you know people are having to endure. So they they you know take it with a grain of salt. But when you look at it from their point of view as professionals, it is it's quite tricky to look at a large gap and say, is this the beginning of my summer training or is this my maintenance time to make sure that I'm in full flight in a month and a half or two months? And that's quite tricky because there are really two very different um, ideal states. So uh, to be able to maintain either one of those without the advantage of a, you know, of a really great gym facility uh, is pretty tricky, but I will give, a lot of credit to uh, here in Stockton, for example, Rick Davis is our strength and conditioning coach and he works closely with RVA up in Calgary and uh, they do a good job of trying to get the guys everything that they can to make sure that they've got the sort of tools they need to be able to do workouts, stay in shape and, and make things work with maybe not optimal equipment. 
Yeah, no question. Um, you would have been, before the lockdown even happened, very close to what I suppose was the first real hotspot in North America. Santa Clara, the San Jose area, that was the first where public officials made statements about people gathering and where we saw a Sharks game very much swinging in the balance, whether it would be played or not. How uh, how much concern was there around the locker room heading into that week where things actually did get shut down? You know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of concern. There's a lot of there's a fair amount of banter about it, but as you know, there had been for the previous month. We had you know we had heard news and being in California, um, having you know maybe there's a uh, our, our ties in California to China and Asia might be a little stronger, so that the our wherewithal on the condition of Wuhan and places like that was maybe a little um, heightened. And so we had chatted about it and there, there had been some different sort of uh, water cooler conversations. But I will say that the initial, you know, reaction in that previous week was more curiosity and not a feeling of fear or, or dread or nervousness as much as I think all of us, you know, we're still learning to understand the gravity of the situation. And also that early news about how the uh, virus is less maybe virulent on uh, the younger population, which I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't think the guy's really in fear. I think that it's just that started to become a little more present in our lives. And obviously with Santa Clara becoming a hot spot, then it got a little more real and the sharks being over there. And then all of a sudden things snowballed quickly. Yeah. Kel McLean joining us, head coach of the American Hockey League, Stockton Heat, the Flames uh, top affiliate. Coach, uh, final one for you, the Flames uh, giving us some hockey news to talk about on Friday. A pair of college free agents signed, uh, Connor McKay and Colton Poolman, both defenders, uh, what is uh, your level of interest on news like that? And just a quick reaction to that news developing on Friday. Uh, I, th- I thought it was great news. Like the, the you know, thought and preparation for what could be late this year or next year still doesn't stop. So I think that's a, a nice job done by our management to be able to secure some top defensemen there. And I think that both Connor and Colton will be looking to play at the NHL level, but Certainly, if uh, one, either, both of them ended up with us in Stockton, I have heard very good things about both of them, both uh, in play and also in terms of their intangibles and their their drive and their uh, leadership qualities. So excellent news. I think uh, something that in this landscape right now, everyone can use every bit of good news that we get. And so was excited to see it, just like I'm sure a lot of fans' flames were. Coach, thanks for the time. Do appreciate it. All the best in isolation there. And uh, I guess uh, you're going to be diving deep into the tickle trunk and into the coloring books and arts and crafts and all that stuff with the family. Enjoy it. Uh, I will. You guys stay safe up there in Calgary, and uh, hopefully this thing will will pass with less, uh, less sort of problems than we all see maybe coming. Thank you. We'll do it again soon. There's the head coach of the Stockton Heat, Kale McLean, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, the bar is closed, but they remain open for business for pickup or delivery at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, 403-248-3344. We'll come back with more Pinder and Steinberg on the other side, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. 
Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back. It is day 12 of the sports apocalypse as it is Pinder and Steinberg from our humble abodes. Pat in a condo somewhere in the Beltline and uh, me in my wife's office, Pat, complete with uh, decorative throw pillows and blankets to keep the echoing to a minimum. Does does yours yours does not count as the belt line, right? That's not that I'm I'm never no. quite sure what is the belt line and what isn't. I believe the belt line would probably be like 17th Avenue until the train lines or the you know which obviously is between 9th and 10th Ave downtown. But I I, I could be wrong, but I believe that to be the case. Probably stretching from I want to say 14th Street into uh, right to the Stampede Grounds. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think 17th is the south border, so now that I think of it, you would yeah. not be Beltline. But yes, I am definitely in my uh, humble abode. The problem is, it's a good thing we're doing this show in the daytime, because while I was writing late at night last week, the lights in my office just stopped working. So huh? nighttime's a no-go. Luckily, there's some uh, beautiful natural light here in what is actually considered the second bedroom in my fake two-bedroom apartment. Ah. Uh, speaking of, you know, bringing some light into our lives, I feel like we need an update on, well, all things Pat Steinberg. People ask You've Pat. got questions, he's got answers. Phone him, text him, tweet him. He is the encyclopedia of life. People ask Pat. That's right. Our very own Pat Steinberg is here to answer your questions. Encyclopedia of life. Well, I mean, is it wrong? Ah, you know, not married, no kids. All he does is work. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's follow Pat's lead. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, in case anyone's listening. Um, <laughs> let's start with this. Uh, last week we chatted, and you had illustrated your incredible, inefficient nature of grocery shopping. Because normally you'd go yes. for, like, what do I need for the next 24 hours? That's it. That's all. Give us an update on a life skill that you're honing in on here in this pandemic. How is grocery shopping adjusting and how much better are you at it tw- day 12 of the sports apocalypse? I I took a significant step on my second big grocery shop. I uh, went yesterday to the co-op right across the parking lot here uh, and I did a really good job. I, uh, I, I wrote out a list. The first time I went, no list, just trying to do it uh, in this cluttered head of mine. And I want to say I forgot 15 to 20 things. This time <laughs> I wrote a list and I only forgot, I only forgot like five or six things. So uh, the, the good news is, is that I was able to pick up stuff that I can cook for dinner and then repurpose for lunch the next day. Um, I brought a, bought a couple of lunch specific things. I'm buying stuff. Like for instance, if I wanted a steak, well, as a family man, you're like, well, we're going to have steak for dinner this week. You'd go out and you'd buy a pack of four steaks. I'd go and I'd find one T-bone steak or one strip loin or whatever's on sale at co-op. I'd buy that and I'd just buy one, cook it for myself with some mushrooms and maybe a salad and that's my dinner. Well, now i got to think ahead. So I bought two steaks and a value pack. I bought uh, another value pack of some pork chops. I got some Spolumbo sausage. So I, I feel like I'm actually somewhat set for the week. I'm And for the first time in perhaps my entire adult life living by myself or living not at my parents' place, my fridge has almost an equal ratio of food to booze. Prior to the pandemic, wow. 
it was it was 85% booze, 10% condiments, and 5% food. It's now, I want to say, like 35% food, 60% um, booze, and 5%, and 5% condiments. So I'm getting there. Right. I think my uh, It's like right. you're growing up in, in front of our very eyes. It's just heartwarming. Let's stay I'm on the food tip. Uh, what's the deal with Chicago mixed popcorn and how are you doing with it right now? Because you've been tweeting about it. Can't be good. Yeah, so, you know, I try to pick up one somewhat, you know, junk foodie snack each week so that I don't... Look, I think it could be really easy. You're staying in all the time. It could be really easy to just crush chips and pretzels and bakery things. So I bought this, this week, like last week, I bought a couple of tins of Pringles. And this week, I bought one bag of the, the Chicago Mix popcorn in the white and blue bag. I opened it in the commercial break, had a couple of handfuls, and I cannot get the ratio right. I get in like, I'll put a handful in, and I'll get like 12 pieces of cheese and one caramel. You shake it up, you do it again, and this time you get seven caramel and one cheese. I'm trying to get somewhat of an even ratio on the Chicago mix, and, and I can't figure it out. So I'm I'm getting a little frustrated with the Chicago mix popcorn. Any tips that you might have as to how to get the ratio proper, I'd be very much, um, very much in favor of. And Logan Gordon, our fine producer at our Basement Systems downtown studio, I believe actually a Chicago mix insider and aficionado does have a tip for you. Logan? Go. Yeah, it's true, man. Just you got to put it in a bowl because then you're going to consciously affect the ratio that you're grabbing because you're not just going to, when you see it, if you just see all cheese, you're not going to stick with it. You're going to feel around. You're going to grab a caramel or two and create a much better ratio for yourself if you put it in a bowl. I okay, know. let's get back to, tonight, uh, logo. yeah, Pat's home life. Uh, I've been very concerned about your nocturnal habits. Uh, when you were busy and there was sports going on and there were Flames games to host and practices to attend, oh you would stay up very late into the middle of the night. Now there's nothing you're responsible for, probably until noon. Have you gone full mm -hmm. vampire? Do you see daylight at all aside from these hours you do the show? Yeah, I do see daylight. I've gotten out for walks and runs during uh, during waking hours for most normal people. Friday night, I uh, binge-watched almost to the end of Narcos Mexico. I've got one more to go, uh, the, the season finale. Um, but I did about, I think I did four episodes on Friday night. Um, lost track of the time, so uh, rolled into the rack at 4.30 a.m. That was a little oh, late. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and I... I pared it down on Saturday. Uh, I think I was in bed by 2.33 on Saturday. And last night, I finished right in the old Monday morning quarterback at CFL.ca. And I think I hit send at about 2.35. So I was in bed before 3 o'clock last night. So, yeah, I would say on the scale of 1 to 10 on the full vampire, um, I, I would say that I'm on an 8.5 of the vampire scale. Wow. And uh, the CFL article this week, I believe, what is it, ranking special teams coaches in the East Division? Today, uh, I'm trying to make it just like, you know, focusing just on football. Uh, today was I had six bounce back candidates for the 2020 season, ah. if the 2020 season ever exists. Uh, final note from the text line, 960960. 
Uh, Logan's tip is a good one, but now Pat has to buy a bowl for his apartment. There is that yeah. the Chicago mix. Fair. That's People Ask yeah. Pat! Before we end People Ask Pat, we have a special caller that has a question for Pat, if you're okay with oh. that, Pat. Now, I, I, reg- probably, uh, I regret letting this person... It's probably a college football. If you might. Uh, caller, what's your name? Uh, JT. Oh, God. Oh, What's your question? Uh, what do we want here? Uncut, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I just got rid of the caller there for you, Pat. Uh, the Dory about it, guys. Uh, much better. <laughs> Good call screening. Uh, we just hung up on the on the web guy, and that just made my week, and it's only Monday. Good stuff. I told him to call stuff. back just so I could do that to him. <laughs> That's beautiful. I think he was going to ask a question. Wildcard Wednesday. Let's do it next. Uh, more non-sports content. And uh, 4.30 this afternoon, head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy. The Bruins on top of the NHL when the league was suspended. We'll hear from Bruce Cassidy this hour as well. Pinder and Steinberg, happy Monday. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary Sports Radio. Sports Radio. On the air, online, and on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. If you're just joining us, you have not been a part of Pandemic Radio for the last week. You'll say to yourself, "Why today's not Wednesday. I know that we're all holed up, but it's, it's definitely Monday. Yeah, on Pandemic Radio, we do um, Wild Card Wednesday every day. Welcome back to the program. You're dang right, Pinder, you I think Pat. That, uh, I think the boss would probably, uh, if this was in the middle of a playoff push for the Flames, and, you know, we, ah. uh, I believe we'd have a game today. Like, he'd be like, uh, yeah, you just did. Uh, Sharks. Uh, you just did People Ask Pat, followed by Wild Card Wednesday. Uh, we need more yeah. hockey talk in there. During the pandemic, though, we got a little bit, uh, a little bit more leeway to do this thing. So, we uh, have got uh, Pinder at his place. We have both. Uh, Pinder just tweeted out a picture of his very luxurious home office with throw pillows and such. I, I replied with my uh, less than luxurious home office, and um, we've got Logan Gordon back at Sportsnet 960 World Control in the Basement Systems downtown studio. We've got our five topics in the Wild Card Wednesday Casino, pop culture, career, personal life, sports, and wild card. We will each uh, pull the slot machine once and uh, ask a question all three of us will answer the question and logan because you are the newest member of the pinder and steinberg trio uh you have to go first those are just the rules oh. and i'm sorry please obey them yeah sure i'll just uh, do the little thing here and uh sports sports got an easy um, one off the hop I like yeah that and you know what it was kind of relevant today that uh I kind of came with the question. I saw the, you might have seen the new LA Rams logo revealed today. Uh, They got some flack for it. Some people like it. Some people hate it. The colors were kind of cool, the old retro yellow and blue. So I thought I would go with uh, one out of the major sports uh, teams in North America. You have to choose one team to rebrand entirely logo, color scheme, jersey. Which team are you rebranding and why? Jeez. Oh man, that's that a really tough. Cool. That might there's be, a lot that of might, bad That's an elite wild card Wednesday question. 
Um, let's see here. I think I, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with the. Um, I'm going to go with not one of the four major professional leagues. I will go with C- a CFL team. Oh. They've only been in existence for like five years, but the Ottawa Red Blacks need a new look. Like, they basically took the Calgary Stampeders color scheme and inverted it. They're like, okay, they do red, black, and white. We're going to do, hey, I got it. We'll do black, white, and red. How's that? Uh, like, I know that Ottawa's colors are black and red and, you know, the Senators and all, but I, I think that the, the, the Red Blacks need a total rethink of their logo. They need a total rethink of their jerseys because they look just like the Stampeders, but like an edgy XFL bad version. So like the, the, the razor blade and just like, you can keep the, I guess if you're going to be the red blacks, you need to have red and black, but maybe choose another color instead of white. Like you look too much like the Calgary Stampeders. So I, I, I would say the Ottawa red blacks would be the team that needs a complete and utter rethink of their color scheme and their jerseys. The problem is, their name is two colors, so it's tough to do a total rethink, but that's the one that came to mind right away. And in fairness, if you've watched the Stampeders social media account over the last few weeks, I don't know if this has slowed down due to all the COVID-19 stuff, but the Stamps have been teasing new uniforms for the upcoming season. And uh, I can't remember who made the point, but it seems as though there's a lack of the color black in these teasers for the Stampeders, so... Maybe the Stamps are trying to differentiate with a more red and white Why look. should they be the one that has know. to differentiate? I like the Stamps' they're the, uniforms. They're the team that's been in existence for a century mm-hmm. as opposed to They're the better half uniforms anyway. So. And a better logo and everything. It's true. Pinder? Um, the other, the other one oh, that I would just before you go, Pinder, the only, only other one that I would say uh, it's another football team, Cincinnati Bengals need a total rethink. I, I'd go Bengals, too, as my runner-up. Hmm. I'm going to go to the AFC South, gents, where there's two candidates for just being less ugly. I've never really gotten the Tennessee Titans uh, set up, logo, nor jersey colors, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, the exact same thing. I mean, they feel like trendy colors that have not aged well, and I feel like you would do very well to uh, adjust either of those. Uh, It's not as if there's a rich history of winning that's going to be you know, separating that jersey from the organization. Uh, they could both use a reset. I appreciate that. I can I can get behind that. What's yours, Logo? Um, I'm going to stick with the NHL for mine, and I'm going to go to a Canadian team. Uh, I would rebrand the Ottawa Senators. Um, they're, I don't mind that. It's just kind of too plain for me. Uh, people kind of like the old Senator logo. Like, the logo itself isn't too bad, but I feel like if you you did something a little bit more modern, the Senator itself, if that's the kind of guard you know thing that they're going with, I think you could come up with a pretty snazzy logo for it and some some better jerseys. Like, there's just nothing to their jersey. It's just, you know, a pretty basic white and red and black, or even the old, you know, the O they did for the Heritage Classic ones. Those were pretty cool. So they're just... They're pretty blonde. They don't really do anything for me. So if there was one team that I had to switch it around for, for sure it was going to be the Senators. And uh, I'm also going to try to go, if I had an NFL one, my backup was going to be the the Arizona Cardinals. It's time for a bit of a refresh on that one too. 
A couple of um, couple of submissions on the text line at nine six zero nine six zero. Maybe the Red Blacks could rebrand as the Rough Riders. It's a good one. Rough what an idea. Riders. Wow. I've never thought of that. Before. Wow, that's a good, idea. That's a good way Holy. to differentiate in the league. Yeah, definitely. There's no other Rough Riders no. team, so that's a good way. Well, if you uh, get Cleveland, to a tenth team, I feel like you probably only run out of names after nine. But if you add a tenth team, maybe you allow them to go to Rough Riders because we're probably out of ideas by then. It's fair. Cleveland Browns need a new name, logo, and colors. Somebody goes with the yep. Minnesota Wild. I could see that as long as you don't change the logo. Minnesota Wild has the best logo in all of sports, I believe. Come on. Um, and finally, rebrand the Oakland Athletics third. Absolutely no question about it. It's disgusting. I don't even know. Is that the, that's, those are the, the bright Kelly yellow. green one? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Nice. I kind of like the Kelly green, green one. and the bright yellow. I kind of like that. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I a big think fan it's fun as a novelty. Really... If you yeah, had to look at that every day, though. it's kind of the colors of vomit, guys. Like if you really think about it, I don't know if you want that as a wow, the full time, full time third jersey. So no. that's a good question, Logo. That might be one of the best we've ever had asked on Wild. It's really good for sports. Yeah. yeah, sports was a tough one, so I thought that was a decent way to go. Who wants to uh, pull well the lever done. next? I'll go next. I'll go I'm next. I'm ready. I'm ready because. Uh, Ooh. Okay, you know what? Let's go Pinder then. Right, Pinder's Pinder. on a delay, so sometimes it gets a little it's a little bit difficult, but Pinder, you're up next. Apologize. Okay, here we go. Feeling good. Got some good ones today. Let's do this. Personal life. All right. I have uh, a very hmm, what's the right word? I guess uh, dark look at our lives. I'd like to you to tell me about a near death experience that you've survived because you're alive today. Oh, <laughs> I've got, I've got. Now, Pat was. Um, go ahead. You were just uh, in this past summer in Germany and you've told us about the Autobahn. So if you don't have something else, you can go back to that. But I feel like you'll have something better than driving on the Autobahn. I do. I mean, I do have the, there's like the, the time that I fell asleep going 160 on the Autobahn. That was definitely, <laughs> it was only for, Jeez, it was Pat. only for about 1.2 seconds. I. Like I'd been up for like 36 straight hours. It was my bright idea to then do a six-hour um, a six-hour drive. But uh, yeah, that was scary when you woke up and you're like, "Oh, the speedometer's still at 160," and I was just asleep for a second and a half. But uh, no, here's one. Um, I, I don't know if I've told this before or not. I was eight years old, riding the bike around Highwood, and I crossed an alley, and a dude driving a creepy van uh plowed right into me on my bike uh head on and i was completely unexpected i got flung from the bike into the middle of the street um and i this guy was going probably about 35 40 in the alley like head on t-bone my bike and me i was basically perfectly fine scraped up my legs a little bit and had a little bit of a whiplash whiplash for about a week but i was basically fine turns out that uh that guy was a little, uh, there were some question marks about him, um, which I found out after the fact. But, uh, yes, I was hit by a van when I was eight years old and, uh, and survived and was, uh, was pretty much uh, none, none the worse for wear when it was all said and done. Logan, sir. Um, I don't have any, like, physical... You know, on the edge of death thing, but probably the closest I, I could come is on a family vacation to Mexico a number of years ago. Um, 
we decided to be those tourists who, instead of taking like a bus and a guide, we rented our own car and went off the resort mm. and uh, went and saw like Chichen Itza and some other places. And uh, we wound up, uh, you know, to make the story shorter, we wound up returning much later than we thought we would. And, you know, it turns out that there's less streetlights and road signs in Mexico than there are in Canada. So we may or may not have gotten lost on our way back to the resort to the point where we didn't know where we were and the gas light turned on in the car. And huh. uh, we were oh in some, like, I, I wouldn't even call it like a village thing, like some little commune of people that had just built their own little shacks or something. And... Uh, tried to communicate that we were lost, and uh, this one gentleman was nice enough to point us towards the direction of a number of ditches that we were to drive through and eventually came towards a major highway that got us back into Cancun <laughs> uh, with the cast light oh, wow. like, perilously on the Mexican rental car. So that was probably the scariest uh, for me and probably the closest my parents ever came to a divorce. There is like a level of anxiety and tension that only being lost with a gaslight on can provide. You just can't simulate it elsewhere. It's sensational. No, it was. Uh, it felt close to death. I, that was, you know, a few years ago, but it still didn't feel very good if our chances were had we run out of gas. So, okay, I'm going to take you back to What's 2005. Yours, I'm traveling in Eastern Europe with a buddy, and we did like the cardinal no-no which is to arrive to your destination well after dark without any accommodation set up. And so we arrive on this Latvian coastal town called Lepaya, which used to be the northernmost port in the USSR that wouldn't freeze over. So it was strategically important to the USSR. But when Latvia was again, I guess what, came back out of the USSR when things dissolved in the early 90s, half of the city left because they were Russians living there. And so this was like the most eerie zombie apocalypse city, like abandoned buildings. Like just imagine a city that's usually 100,000 people with just 50,000 people living there. It was weird, empty buildings. And sure enough, a collection of the locals that spoke no English surrounded me and my buddy as we wandered without a clue where we were going. And eventually, um, with very broken English, we, we managed to, uh, well, pay them to not hurt us and to get us in the direction of somewhere we could stay for the night. But there was a good long hour where I definitely was wondering how my family would receive the news that I'd been murdered in Latvia. Wow. It, I would not have expected oh, wow. Latvia to be the place that you almost had your uh, near-death experience. That's, no. Uh, that's impressive. Was it a large amount of money you had to give them for your life? No, I feel like it was probably the equivalent of 20 or $40, but uh, the economy kind of falls apart when half the people move out of a town. So, yeah. Fair. Uh, Steinberg, you want to finish this one off? Let's do it. Let's go. We got one more topic before we wrap up Wild Card Wednesday today. Career. All right. By the way, we had some morbid ones. Uh, the near-death experiences on our text line. I don't even care to read them because they're so morbid. Um, gentlemen, have you ever had an unpleasant experience with a listener in person? Have you ever had an unpleasant experience with a listener in person? Hmm. I will uh, start this one. Yeah. And it's a story I've told many times, but at the inaugural 
Beer League Championship, which we hosted at Father <laughs> David Bauer. We had the Bymore Blues against, I believe, the Brew Stars. Bymore, of course, a booming metropolis of hundreds, uh, not far from Three Hills, I'm told by John Bender. And the Puckstar, the Brewsters, excuse me, were uh, a local group that were like, you know, normal people that had normal jobs or like office people and doctors and lawyers and, you know, like very white-collared Calgary jobs. And the thing turned into a bloodbath. Darcy Tucker's brother nearly took someone's leg off with one of the most egregious slashes I've ever seen. Things were very heated. This was clearly the, uh, the, the opportunity of a lifetime for the team from Bymore to finally make it in their hockey lives. And so when all is said and done, we have the big after party at the Wild Rose Brewery, which is always a blast. And one of the guys from the Bymore Blues uh, looked like he'd poured about two liters of Castrol GTX into his hair and was wandering around the bar. And I said, hey, man, when was the last time you had a shower? Trying to make a joke, which was not received well. <laughs> and he said, look me in the face and say that one more time so I can punch you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think I'm going to head to the bar, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> Uh, that uh, that sounds like a classic Pinder's mouth working too fast for his brain um, example. Uh, Logs, do you have one? I really don't. I, I've only had a few listener things here and there, so I, I I haven't had any, you know, yet. Fingers crossed. Haha, not really, but. Uh, I'm sure you've got a much better one uh, than I could come up with that. Well, because we get we get tons of them on the the text line can just be absolutely savage towards us on Twitter. Um, you can have death threats and and just horrible things said to you. You gotta you gotta develop a little bit of a thick skin. Some days thicker than others, but I've I've very rarely had anybody come up to me in person and say anything negative uh most of the time anybody who would be negative um on the text line or on twitter if they meet you in person they're usually they're usually friendly and, and they don't say those things and or or they just you know you don't see them in person at all so i've got two one of them was i've got one really good one and then one that was was kind of interesting too so the first one i was out i want to say this about five years or so ago uh before the joyce on fourth was renovated after the flood um so this would have been yeah more than five years ago this would have been like seven or eight years ago i remember i'm sitting there with a couple of buddies and we're just having beers it's like i don't know 12 o'clock and beside us is a table of middle-aged men i would say i would say between 45 and 55 and they're having a very loud conversation there's the there's the one guy who is the the real leader of the conversation his opinion means the most and and he's the loudest and he starts talking about our radio station and he starts talking um fairly disparagingly he goes yeah, they got that Manitoba moron boomer doing mornings now. Like, whoever thought that guy could do mornings? Uh, they've got they've got that idiot Steinberg on with uh, Bryn or something. I don't. I don't and, and so I, all I remember is that he called Boomer a Manitoba moron and called me an idiot. So my friends are like, are you going to say anything? I'm like, well, let's just wait to see what he keep on going. So eventually I was like, hey, would you uh, would you say any of this to Boomer or Steinberg's face if, if they were around? He's like, ha, 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 yeah. I'm like, my buddy's like, well, that's 
Steinberg right there, and the guy got so embarrassed, and he, 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 he shut down so quickly, and he was like, oh, I w- I'm a huge listener. I was just, I'm sorry, man. I was just venting. I'm like, hey, it's all good. You've got your opinions. I just wondered if you would say it to my face or not. He's like, I'm so sorry, man. I spoke out of line. So there's that time, and then here is the best one that I can ever remember. This was at my friend Justin's wedding. So this would have been three summers ago, um, and uh, Justin's a good man. I was one of his uh, groomsmen. I was in the wedding party, and his best man, I believe, or one of the other groomsmen, um, was really nice kid, uh, a childhood friend of Justin's. I met him for the first time at the wedding, and so he's a big listener, and so we're getting ready. We're getting into our suits to, to go to the wedding and and get set, and so he's telling me about, yeah, I listen all the time. You know, uh, I love I love overtime. Some of the people, the, some of the things people say on there, he's like, my dad's not a big fan of you, though. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, my dad my dad rages at you all the time, and so he he might have something to say to you at the wedding. So I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. So anyway, we go to the wedding. It's uh, at Charbar, and we're up on the, the rooftop patio getting ready. Now the, the ceremony's done. We're waiting for the reception to start, which is on the next floor down for the dinner. So we're still up on the patio having drinks, and this man calls me over. He goes, hey, Steinberg, come here. I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, this is probably the guy's dad. Uh, so I go over and I'm like, hey, how are you, Pat? Nice to meet you. He's like, ah, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm this. Uh, I believe he was a pretty big oil exec. And he starts, and, and I'll give him credit, he went right to town on me. He's like, you let the flames off the hook way too much. You're clearly in their pocket. You're a, you're a shill and all the, ty- you know, the typical stuff that you know we get as rights holders of the team. I'm like, yeah, that's, I, 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 I respected him for actually saying this stuff to my face, but at the same time I said, Respectfully, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm quite comfortable with my integrity and the job that I do. So anyway, now this guy gets drunk, and we're at the reception, and this guy's getting really obnoxious with me. <laughs> and he's he's so his son sitting across from me is like, yeah, my dad says that um, when he doesn't like people, he throws buns at them. I'm like, okay. And so I, I was like, I've had enough of your dad. So I'm, I just ignored it and went back to talking to my girlfriend at the time or whatever. Anyways, about five minutes later, the guy legitimately throws a bun at me. And I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I get it. You don't. So this is now at a I wedding. Love this guy. I'm like, so I, I threw, I threw the bun. I'm like, dude. And I'm pretty sure that I dropped a couple four-letter bombs. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're gonna like you, you care so much about me on the radio and what I say that you're gonna throw buns at me now. Anyway, so I got really mad at him, and I was out out of my chair, and I was like, like, do, do we do we want to go have a discussion elsewhere about this? And so he he backed down, and then about ten minutes later, the guy came back, and he goes. My dad's really sorry about the way he's acted. Like, he, he can't believe that he's embarrassed at himself. And he came up, he's like, Pat, I'm so sorry. You do a great job on the air. I'm, I'm really, I, I got carried away, and I'm drunk. And So, again, usually you don't have people accost you in person. I have had it happen once to me in person by a guy so upset with what I've said on the air that he threw a lovely bun right at my he was aiming for my face he got me right in the collarbone so those those are the two times that i have uh, been accosted by listeners that's some real good wedding behavior from him there the father of the groom's best friend too oh, it was unbelievable 
I feel like you got to respect someone that's willing to, even if they're wrong, go to the lengths of throwing buns at a wedding. Like that's, I'm on Team Chaos. So that's perfect. It was like it was a good throw too. Like he was three tables away. Like that was an accurate throw. I was quite impressed. And it's the only time that I've literally felt uncomfortable in the job that I do because this guy was so not a fan of mine. Um, And then by the end, he told me that he was a big fan of mine. So apparently me getting angry and challenging him uh, gained his his respect. So I earned a man's respect that day. (laughs) I like this text. Hey, Pat, did you say girlfriend at the time or whatever? Does that mean escort? No! It's my girlfriend at the time. Same it's date. Not, you doesn't have money for escorts. <laughs> Same date you had to high school prom. I'm working on radio. <laughs> no, I didn't have a date for my high school prom, Logan. We've already gone over this. Uh, it's not it a last wedding week's until someone no, that's right. throws sorry. a bun. Sorry, yeah. Um, what else we got here at 960960? Steinberg talking tough is getting me all hot under the collar. Don't mess with Pat. Uh, here's one about Pinder's question, the near-death experience. We were in Budapest for New Year's, and two friends and I got into the shoe, the, uh, the shoe show after midnight. Three girls sat down and started drinking champagne. 20 minutes later, we got a bill to the equivalent of 800 American. We argued, and a bouncer came up to me and said he'd make us disappear. Needless to say, he escorted me to an ATM, and I paid. Two days later in Prague, we went with a much better outcome. More of the st- moral of the story, don't go to the Rippers in Budapest. Can you imagine an Eastern European or man don't saying, drink a bottle at the Rippers I will in make Budapest. you disappear. That's, that's terrifying. An Eastern European <laughs> bouncer telling you that I'm going to make you disappear. That is terrifying. And that is another edition of Wildcard Wednesday. This has been Wildcard Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, good stuff. Up next, we're going to hear from the head coach of the Boston Bruins. Guys, how about the Bruins? Number one in the NHL. They're the number one team in the President's Trophy race. They're coming off a trip to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final the year before. Everything is going all guns blazing in Boston until the NHL season is suspended. We're going to hear from their head coach, Bruce Cassidy, coming up next. Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. So as it stands right now with the NHL in suspension and with the the league not going on, the number one team in the NHL is the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins currently with a 714 point percentage. They're the only team at 100 points. They sit 44 14 and 12 on the year. This is a team that went to game seven of the Stanley Cup final last year before dropping to the St. Louis Blues. Here they are as the number one team in the NHL more than two thirds of the way through the season more than three quarters of the way through the season and now the season suspended. What a weird spot to be in if you're head coach Bruce Cassidy. He spoke with Jeff Merrick and Brian Burke on Hockey Central at noon today. Let's check in with Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Boston Bruins. What have you been doing in the uh, the week and a half since the NHL went on hiatus? How have you been filling the days? Hi, Jeff and Berkey. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it's a good question. Uh, long days, not a lot going on. I have a 9 and 11-year-old at home here, so helping out with some schoolwork. Uh, 
some long walks with the wife, uh, a lot of reading. I guess I'm more of a reader than a TV guy, so mm-hmm. um, that's about it. You know, uh, stepping away from hockey a little bit um, is, is nice, but it's been too long now. It'd be nice to get back what, to work. What are you reading? Uh, I read different things. I just finished Scotty Bowman's book by Ken Dryden. Uh, oh, nice. I read The Nickel Boys. Um, you know, The Obstacle is the Way. There's that. He had three books out. I didn't necessarily read them in the right order, so I think I'm on the last one. Uh, I try to mix it up. It's a little bit, you know, behavioral stuff that might help you with your with your job, a little bit about, you know, hockey history. And then I just try to read something that's entertaining every once in a while, so I kind of mix it up um, in that regard. Berkey? Yeah, well, I want to ask about I I like when we get coaches on. We had John Tortorella on Butch last week. And we asked him about his first head coaching job. So yeah. let's go back. So you were a high draft pick. You had a, a lengthy pro career, sometime in the show, a lot of time in the minors. You go back, you decide you want to be a coach. Where was your first coaching job? Uh, mine was in Jacksonville, Florida, East Coast League. Um, I was playing at the end of my career, had some injuries, so I wasn't in the lineup much, but I was part of Chicago's minor league team. Bob Murray was running it then. Um, and they were firing their coach in the East Coast League, and they basically came to me and said, do you want to, do you want to get involved in coaching? Because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do anyway. I knew my playing days were numbered. So I think I was 31 at the time. So that's where I ended up interviewing, got the job, um, and off I went. I was by myself. There was no assistant coaches back then. We had a couple older guys that uh, helped joke. But, um, so it was a great learning experience in that regard. He did everything. And what did you get you know, paid for that? Do you remember? $39,000. <laughs> Big money. <laughs> Torts' first job, Torts coached in the Atlantic Coast League, and he made $6,000 his first coaching job. Well, I was a little ahead of him, I guess. I <laughs> and then where'd you go from there? Like, I find uh, it very interesting. I think our listeners are intrigued. They think, oh, you just become an NHL head coach. You actually don't. It's actually a difficult, time-consuming road for most guys. Yeah, I mean, um, I went from there to... Uh, Indianapolis and the old IHL. It was a partial affiliate of the Blackhawks. I mean, that, that was my connection. Uh, I, you know, I, I was in there as a pro. It's the only organization I played for, but predominantly in the minors. Um, but a lot of times I was in charge of uh, the young guys coming up. You know, you go from, uh, you know, a, 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 a prospect to a depth player to a career minor leaguer. That was kind of the path I had. And I was there to mentor the uh, the younger guys that were high picks and, you know, we with them on the road. I was their defense partner if they were D-men, et cetera. So that was my end. So uh, I went to – I was fortunate enough to get uh, promoted to Indy uh, and look after Chicago's prospects. So that was the road. And then they went under. Uh, so I went back to the East Coast League in Trenton. Got hired in Grand Rapids, which was uh, the American League at the time. Ottawa was the top affiliate um, and then to Washington. So I got a chance early on. Looking back, I was real fortunate. Didn't realize how lucky I was probably. But uh, then back to square one again. So started over and then eventually ended up in Boston. So it is a long road uh, for some. Others are a little more fortunate. Others never make it, so I'm certainly grateful. Yeah, I was never a prospect. I was always a suspect, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, so you get your shot in Washington. Might have been too soon. You go back 14 years it took you to get back, right? Yeah, it was a long road. Uh, some different stops. Uh, probably about that, right? 14, 15 years. Something yeah, I think I was looking at it last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a while. Let's put it that way. 
Well, so, you know, oh, yours is a uh, sorry, Bur- sorry, Burke. I just want to interject one thing really quickly here. Yours is, and Berkey talks about this. Um, Bruce, yours is the story of perseverance, like at every single level. Um, I can recall uh, you're drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks, and then I think it was was it a ball hockey injury where you yeah, tore, playing, tore your uh, knee apart? Yeah, tore my ACL. At, uh, we just won the Memorial Cup, so things are looking good. I had a good year. Uh, there's a good chance to make the Blackhawks. You'll never know, but I tore it playing ball hockey, which I did every summer uh, for three, four years playing the league. So it was a good way to sort of stay active and had permission from the team. And it's just kind of a fluky injury. And then they never fixed it properly. So it kind of stuck with me for two or three years. So by then, you know, guys, the next wave of draft picks come along and you're, you're playing catch up and played some games, but never really caught up. Yeah. Sorry, Berkey, go ahead. It's not like the medicine, what, what it is today. Knee surgery is almost automatic today. It's almost automatically successful, and it wasn't back in the day. No, they didn't want to do it. The Blackhawks doctor, my junior doctor did in Ottawa. I was playing for the 67s. He was ready to do it, but I was signed. So they, they had the final say, and I didn't know. My parents were naive, so was I. So we just followed orders. And In hindsight, should have fixed it. It's probably a, nowadays, the ACL is probably six months max. At the time, I think it was more like eight or nine months. But I, I just listened to what they say. I wanted to get back in the ice as quickly possible right so i kind of said yeah let's do it this way let it kind of heal on its own with old therapy and that just wasn't going to work so we kind of dragged it out for a couple of years which didn't help but at the end of the day um you know it is what it is and so i kind of had to to kind of deal with that for a while so that unfortunately probably derailed a good shot at the nhl but like i said who knows so off to coaching you know and that's uh, opens another door what's your favorite you were, uh, part of coaching my favorite part yeah uh one of my favorite parts uh, for a long time, since I spent most of my time in the minors, and see a guy get up and make it. Because uh, I had to live that life right down in the minors, and I always thought that was very gratifying to me to see a player uh, excel and, and make it to the NHL. So that was one of the biggest things in the minors. Obviously, in the NHL, the best part of coaching is, is you know, obviously winning. You know, you want to win. Uh, but it's the environment you're in and how you're winning and the culture of winning. So for me in Boston, that's been second to none anywhere, being around the guys like Bergie and Z and, and Marshy and Kretsch, Tuka, all these guys. So I'm learning from them uh, as much as anything. So I think that's the thing I've taken from the, the Bruins is the winning, but doing it the right way and in the right culture and learning how to win. They've actually taught me to, how to win as, as much as anything. I am curious about a few of your players, and listen, every year Patrice Bergeron is in the uh, in the conversation for the Selkie Trophy, Zidane Chara, they're already, you know, picking out where they're going to put the plaque at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I am curious about David Pasternak, who um, this year was uh, very much in the race, along with Alex Ovechkin and Austin Matthews for the Rocket Richard Trophy. How hands-on have you been with David Pasternak? I'm always curious about goal scorers and how much you work with them as opposed to how much you just sort of say, this guy's got the touch, I'm going to back off. How did you work with Pasternak? Well, I'll tell you a quick story about him. It tells you all, a lot about what you need to know about. I, I'm a big believer of these young guys. Like, you know, are they rink rats? Are they self-motivators, you know, self-starters? And David Pasternak's playing for us in Providence. Uh, I believe he's 19 at the time. Uh, goes to the World Junior Championships. I think it was the year it was in Toronto and Montreal. So he's 18 or 19. He comes back. We played a lot of Friday, Saturday, Sundays in the minors. So we were at home on Sunday afternoon in Providence. I think they lost out on Friday night, travels uh, all day Saturday to get back to, to Providence, comes in in the morning, and I always write the lineup on the board. So he walks in and, and comes in and says, you know, hey, Butch, uh, 
how you doing? I said, David, you know, you know, how's the term, et cetera? And he goes, where's my number on the board? I said, well, you're not playing tonight. I mean, Donnie told me to he'd come in, take a few days off and says, no, I want to play. I'm here to play. That's what I do. You know? So all of a sudden he's playing the world junior championships one night, flies, you know, end up, end up Boston, you know, drives up to Providence and, and the kid wants to play and tells you all you need to know about him in terms of his commitment to being a hockey player. As wow. for working with him every day, uh, I kind of let him be you know, like with the skill part of it. And we've tried to work on his overall game more than anything. Uh, Bergie's been a big influence there, Marshy. So, the skill part of it, I mean, I think some of that just has to develop on its own. We put him with the right players eventually, uh, put him in situations for him to have success, power play. We kind of moved him into crutchy spot. You know, that was a, you know, a decision we had to make uh, with a, you know, a proven guy, but we did it. And, you know, it's worked out well for us. So that's kind of how we handled David. Uh, listen, he's a great kid, comes to work every day. So there's not a lot of uh, coaching that needs to be done with him. It's just, you know, fine-tuning the days he gets you know, a little loose with the puck. Does does he have the ugliest tape job on a stick you've ever seen? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but all the little kids want it now. Like my son's team, they're all taping at the same time, different awful. colors. And, oh my god! So anyway, he's left his mark. <laughs> it works for him. <laughs> uh, it really is something. Um, Brian was talking about this moments before he came on. Listen, all teams are disappointed that the season went on pause. Uh, we can all understand why, of course. Um, but Brian was making the point. Brian, stop me if I'm misrepresenting you here. Um, the one team specifically that really felt it were the Boston Bruins. Top team in the NHL. You know, no hanger, hangover from last year's playoffs, depth at all the positions, uh, really looking good for the playoff push and, and go deep into the playoffs. This one was crushing for your organization, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, listen, we're still hoping to get out there and play. I'm an optimist at some point, so we have that in the back of our minds. But uh, if it doesn't happen, yes. And there you know, different reasons, A, because... You know, we feel we're as good as anybody. Uh, I'm not being cocky saying that. I just That's just the confidence our group has. Uh, we have some unfinished business from last year. That was kind of our approach uh, coming into training camp. Uh, we have a group that's ready to win now. They've been there. Um, they're not getting younger, our core. So to lose an opportunity would, would hurt the organization in that regard. Um, and just just the, the fact that we're competitive and, like I said, feel that, you know, we're right there. So... It would be difficult. Uh, I mean, you'd get over it once you start up again, but right now it would be tough to sort of be told that, you know, you're not going to get that opportunity. So we'll stay optimistic. Yeah, and I don't think, Butch, I don't think you're being arrogant or cocky at all saying that. Like, you know, again, going back to the year we won the Cup in Anaheim, we talked openly about it with our players right from the start. I know you're not supposed to, but we talked about it in training camp. We said, look around this room. You will never have a better chance than you have with this group of athletes this year. This will be the best chance you have to get a ring. And we talked about it openly, and I, I really think I really like your team. I think they were poised for success. I hope we get to play. I hope you get to play the string out. I'm not so sure it's going to happen, but let's let's be optimistic and, and hope. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and we don't hide from it either, Berkey. I mean, we've talked about it. It was our goal going in. Listen, we, we left a game on the table last year. We want to correct it. And it's been, you know, people have asked us. Uh, I feel that our, you know, we were, we went from in the last few years from probably a, a team that had a chance to a favorite. We've talked about it. I, I, we don't mind having that target on our back. Our guys have been there. Uh, our core group has won. It's, you know, you just got to be careful. You don't get ahead of yourself. But internally, that that is the challenge for our guys. And we've talked about it. And I think 
you know, we were on a path, uh, the right path, uh, to sort of meet that challenge. I felt we were playing the right way. We were playing games that, uh, the style of play that, you know, matters in April and May and June, and we were relatively healthy. That's always important. So things were trending well for us. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that, that's the way it goes. I want to ask you about one of your goaltenders, uh, and not to Garask, uh, Yaroslav Halak. Um, very quietly, I mean, listen, 2010 was big for him, Montreal against the Washington Capitals, but very quietly in his career, Bruce, he's turned in a really, really nice career. 50 shutouts, uh, 9.19 overall save percentage. Uh, Boston, your team, uh, of course, has one of the best goaltending batteries in the entire NHL. What can you tell us about Yaroslav Halak that you think we need to know? Uh, well, I think the people that look at him know, like you said, how good he, he's been over the years. Um, I, when you're not a number one, it's that much more difficult to make that big name for yourself. And, and maybe he could be elsewhere. I, I make that argument all the time if he went somewhere else. Now, he's not a big guy that could probably play 60, 65 games a year. That would be what you'd have to be careful. I think that's why it's worked out for both him and Tuka with us as we've balanced the workload. Uh, but what to know about him? I, I, you know what? He's, he's a quiet guy, an ultimate professional, uh, hardworking guy in practice, understands. And this is the best part of Yarrow is that, you know, he, he is the backup, has to stay a little, you know, the, the, their role. They have to take a few extra shots, get a little extra work. And at 35 years old with a career like his, I mean, some guys would say, you know, screw that. I'm, I'm getting off. But mm-hmm. he's been very good at understanding, you know, that part of it. And, Guys appreciate that, and he's very competitive in practice, and that's what makes him good. Uh, that's his style in the net as well. Uh, you know, so, other than that, like I said, just good, solid pros of both of them, and we're lucky to have him. Before we let you go, I want to ask you about the last couple of weeks uh, of the season before it went on pause. One of my favorite things about watching the Boston Bruins play was Zidane Chara, and somehow he discovered a knack for launching hockey sticks into orbits. Uh, there were a few stick lifts. It was hilarious, Brian. Uh, 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 Bruce, as you can very well imagine. Brian, you know what I'm talking about. Chara lifting sticks the way, likes of which we've never seen before. What goes through the coach's mind when hulking Zidane Chara is launching sticks to the moon? Well, it's five on three. We got a kill. That's what's going through. It happens a lot on the penalty kill, right? So I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, Steve, but uh, I don't know. It's just he's so strong that you know if you're not leaning on it, uh, it's, it's going. So uh, yeah. they were. Uh, I think one was Tampa, the last one of the last games yep. played. And it was the guys looking around like. <laughs> but anyway, just part of the game. But uh, sometimes you don't even know what's going on. Like what the hell just happened? Because you know you can't see everything. You're watching the puck, and it's going on away from the puck. But uh, yeah, it's become a new thing. I guess so. Good for him as long as he gets away with it. Uh, yeah, we're okay with it. One you know, of the things I don't know that I... that'll happen forever, but. <clears throat> One of the things we miss in the game right now, uh, it not being active. Bruce, thanks so much for uh, for spending time with us today. It's it's much appreciated. All right, Jeff Berkey, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Butch. There you go. That is the head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, in conversation with Brian Burke and Jeff Merrick on Hockey Central at noon today. Don't forget that all guests join us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pick up or deliveries available. Call 403-248-3344. Once again, 248-3344. Get yourself some of the best pizza in the city. If you're looking to splurge some pasta, you can do some wings. 
you're not going to go wrong if you are uh, hitting things up at Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Uh, I've got some reason for optimism for you if you're a sports fan. I'll hit you with that next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just a uh, quick segment, but a little bit of optimism on this quick segment. I was just, I've been thinking about this over the last few days, Pinder, and Look, I'm by no means am I breaking news or saying this is going to happen, but for those, we and we're going to hear Elliot Friedman coming up in just a few minutes, and, and he expands on this a little bit more, but ever since we spoke to him at 3 o'clock, it's got my mind jogging that, you know, if if the NHL can come back in any way, shape, or form, some semblance of it, whether it's four teams in uh, a little playoff and they find a way to hand out the Stanley Cup if they are able to get two cities that can host games and they just play neutral site empty arena games for a Western and Eastern Conference final and then play off in a Stanley Cup final, even if they have to do that in July into August or something like that, if if they can have some semblance of a resumption of the NHL season, even if it is... Uh, a, a very different looking league or different looking format than we're, than we're used to, the, the TV numbers are going to explode, the viewership's going to explode, and the excitement level is going to be through the roof. And I don't think that is completely out of the question. Is it 50-50? No, I don't think it's anywhere near that close. But is it completely out of the question? They might be able to have something that is reminiscent of NHL hockey and still have it considered the 1920 season. I don't think it's completely out of the question, depending on how things go here in the next number of weeks. Again, I don't think that they're going to be opening stadiums and allowing large-scale congregation for quite some time. But in empty arenas and televised to people at home, yeah, I don't think that is completely 100% out of the question between now and sometime in the summertime. No, I mean, I wouldn't be putting any money on that to happen if I was forced to pick one way or the other. But that said, what we did see today was maybe not the official word, but the hinting that the IOC is going to move the Tokyo Summer Games back a summer, and that does... I guess, elongate the window for where you could try to ram in a shorter tournament. Um, I don't think anyone in their right mind would want to run up against Olympic programming. That's not going to be an issue if the Olympics don't go this summer. We just need, A, the players and all team personnel, and B, locales to get into a spot where you could host Mm -hmm. a mini tournament if that's sort of the last call, get us something to give away the Stanley Cup, get us one last shot in the arm of revenue, which I think is important to owners. Uh, as much as it's being in a club, they, they own things to make money. They're billionaires because they're good at making money. Um, so I'm not here to start breaking down the tournament, but I don't think it's impossible. Uh, and and in, from all accounts, the NHL is incredibly open-minded to different-looking type tournaments it doesn't have to be a 16 team it doesn't have to be you know necessarily what we're accustomed to seeing it could be something way outside the box like division leaders or top four teams by points percentage you could go a lot of ways that that would allow you to give away the greatest trophy in pro sports in a much shorter time frame 
Uh, I do have just uh, for you uh, gambling degenerates out there, me and Pinder include ourselves Ooh. in this category. Um, Jordan, the web guy, if he's listening, uh, Bet Online has some NHL props in terms of when the season might resume. So, uh, next NHL game to be played, June 1st or sooner. Uh, yes is paying plus 300, uh, no paying minus 500. So I don't think they're going to be playing a game before June, June 1st. I really don't. Um, so I don't, there's not a whole lot of value in no, but here's the interesting one. Next NHL game to be played July 1st or sooner. Yes pays plus 160, no pays minus 225. So a little bit more on the value side for no. And then this one, next NHL game to be played August 1st or sooner. Uh, yes play, paying minus 180, no paying plus 140 so if you think that there's no nhl hockey at all uh you might want to go put a uh, no bet down on plus 140 paying the seven to five odds you can actually make a little uh, do a little better than doubling your money if you did that and the nhl doesn't return at all it's probably the best advice you can give someone is to be gambling on things you can't control in the midst of an economic collapse and a pandemic so we appreciate the tips I'm not saying I'm not advising anybody to do anything. I'm not. Nobody is going to change their habits based on what I say. So if you're into sports gambling already, then you're probably going to still be sports gambling uh, if if you've got the means to do so. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, they also have them for Major League Baseball and NBA. Back to action props now exist in um, on different mm. online betting sources. So just thought I'd throw that out there for a little bit of levity. Okay, we will uh, return with our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. We're into the sports drive at 5, and we come back. It's Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it's the sports drive at 5. A little delayed getting there. It's a quarter after 5, but uh, this is what happens when Pat joins the 5. We're so excited. We don't worry about time. Uh, and at least we'll kick off the hour with uh, our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman, in moments. Also this hour, Kale McLean. What's going on at the American League level? Who's still in Stockton? Who's gone home? And what do athletes do for, you know, the workout when they're in quarantine, which is what happens when you leave California? That's all ahead, Patty, between now and 6. And at 6, we got a good one for you tonight as well. Battle of Alberta, number one from this season, the December 27 game. 6 o'clock start right here on your Home of the Flames. Yep, that was the first of five potential battles of Alberta. We only got four of them because it uh, looks like that that uh, season-ending game 82 probably won't happen. But we did get uh, four really good ones. The first one, I would definitely say that's your forward. That's your prologue before the uh, real rising action and climax in game three, four, uh, two, three, and 4 of this year's Battle of Alberta. That's coming your way at the top of the hour. We are super late, but let's get to our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman, who joined us earlier today. A lot happening in the outside world how does that react to the nhl we got all of that with our nhl insider elliot friedman elliot interesting news out of ontario today it looks like uh, you're headed for a lockdown tomorrow at midnight i guess uh, maybe start us off with uh just a say elliot friedman our nhl insider joining us mondays on pinder and steinberg um so long as you know the apocalypse hasn't arrived yet. He's been good at staying with us on these Monday hits, and it's becoming more and more about life and hard news, but still some good NHL nuggets in there, Patty. 
Yeah, and, you know, I, I get it that there are some calling for the NHL to just end the season and just come out and do it. And I believe me, I do understand that line of thought. I really do. But I think what is important to remember is that they they still are in a spot where revenue is important and, and revenue is something that is going to affect them for next season and how they go about their business next season. And I think there's also an acute awareness by the NHL that if they come back, which is is significantly an if as opposed to a when, but if they come back, that they will be in a spot where it's it's going to be an exciting time and they'll be able to capitalize on a lot of viewership they've got the nba and the nhl are big enough leagues that logistically they can wait a whole lot longer to cancel things than the chl can or the echl can or a lot of other leagues so i i i don't mind the nhl waiting until they absolutely have to no choice to cancel the season i still think there is a shred of optimism that we get some sort of hockey that can be sort of aligned to the 2019-2020 season i wouldn't say i'm hugely optimistic but i wouldn't say that i i look at it as completely off the table either well you don't have to call it i mean there's clearly the more information you have the better the decisions you're going to make and why would you try to forecast what june and july look like right now you, you don't have to so take the time you've been given that's like an elliotism i recall elliot saying one of the great uh, pieces of advice he's got when you have time use it and that's clearly what the nhl's doing they don't have to be the experts of predicting what's three months ahead they just have to make the best decision with the information they have which as we've seen by each 24-hour period things are changing dramatically i mean yesterday mm -hmm. we didn't know anything about a lockdown in ontario Today it was announced, tomorrow at 11.59 p.m., there's a lockdown in Ontario. I mean, things are changing so quickly. How in the world are we supposed to know what you know late spring, early summer looks like? I have no problem with them taking their time and uh, getting it right, at least by their own standards. Coming up at the top of the hour, we are taking you to Rogers Place in Edmonton from December 27th of this season, round one of this year's Battle of Alberta. And uh, still to come, before we get to then, head coach of the number one affiliate of the Calgary Flames, Kale McLean, head coach of the AHL Stockton Heat. That's all coming your way before 6 o'clock. We're underway on the Sports Drive at 5. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Well, we got some hockey tonight that uh, will not be boring. It won't be live per se, but it's a big game for the Calgary Flames in the first of what was supposed to be five rounds of the Battle of Alberta this season. We take you back to December 27th, Flames and Oilers from Buda, well, from Edmonton, Pat. It's uh, going to be a good one. It's a beautiful It's a beautiful arena, right? It's a beautiful arena, Rogers Place, and right beside the beautiful J.W. Marriott. You can say that. Uh, it's a big game, huh. big game for the Flames. They come right out after Christmas. A lot of people were wondering if they were going to be a little sleepy. Remember, prior to the game on December 27th, which, spoiler alert, they win by a 5-1 score. But uh, prior to that, they had uh, been really lackluster um, going into the uh, Christmas break. And then after that game, they were pretty lackluster. But uh, pretty important game uh, coming up for the Flames tonight 
December 27th, round one of the Battle of Alberta. It's a big night for the Andrew Manjapani, Elias Lindholm, Ooh. Matthew Kachuk trio, which was still together at the time. Yes, the new look top line, so to speak. Uh, so you could argue after this game, at least. And we should say a big thank you to Patrick Dumas, who did the, uh, the legwork of editing this down. We will start right from the anthem tonight at 6 o'clock, which will be a ton of fun, and you can expect more of uh, the highlights of this Flames season, not to mention some great highlights from franchise yeah. history as we go further into the pandemic here. I, I also, yeah, I think the boss man is working on some um, some other games that are not from this season. You know, ones that may have captivated a city, whether it be Game 6 from sure. 1989 or Game 7 between the Canucks and Flames of 04, stuff like that I think we're working on as well. Has Pinder dropped? I believe Pinder is left. Sorry, so I had let's uh, Logan in my ear there. I did not hear you there, Pat. Oh, Sorry. okay. Let's let's uh, let's go to break. We got Kale McLean, the head coach of the American Hockey League, uh, Abbotsford. Sorry, Stockton Heat coming your way around the corner. The number one affiliate of the Calgary Flames. What does a head coach of an AHL team do when they're in suspension? Good chat with Pinder and Kale McLean coming up next as the Sports Drive at Five continues. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Well, as we know, the NHL isn't the only professional sports league that has been put into suspension. We know a good chunk of the leagues in Europe haven't just suspended. They have shut down their seasons. The ECHL in North America did the same. We got breaking news from Elliot Friedman earlier in the show that the CHL has canceled the playoffs and the 2020 MasterCard Memorial Cup. But the American Hockey League, along with the NHL, remains in suspension and not canceled. So what does that mean for the head coach of an AHL franchise? Well, we checked in a little earlier today with the head coach of the number one affiliate of the Calgary Flames. That would be the AHL Stockton Heat. Kale McLean is their second-year head coach. Joined us a little earlier today on Pinder and Steinberg. Coach, uh, man, I can't imagine how much has transpired in the two weeks since we've chatted. It feels like about two years. Uh, first off, how are you? How's the family? And, and what are you doing to keep busy in Stockton? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Family is good, and we're uh, on isolation here in Stockton. Like everyone in California is on a quarantine, and so we are just making the best of our time. You know, as a hockey coach, this is time during the season or the winter that you know you usually miss a lot with your family. So you try to look at the silver lining and see that this is a good time to spend time with my daughter Ashton and my wife Carrie, and just sort of enjoy each other a little bit and get some work done and sort of stay in touch with everything that's going on on the side and keep your fingers crossed that that everyone in the U.S. and in Canada can be as healthy as possible. Yeah, no question. What, uh, I guess, take us back to March 12th or whenever the you got the news that things were going to come to a halt. Where were you? How had things been going and how did you deliver the news to your troops? Well, we actually, as you know, it, it sort of unfolded pretty quickly here in California and um, with the rest of the league. So we're at the arena one day, you know, on the 11th, sort of hearing a little bit of rumor. And um, 
not sure just with general like greater society things are starting to look different around california and with a the ahl um once we get into the i think it was thursday the 12th we you know started to hear more concrete ideas that things could change a lot of contact between brad pascal in calgary and ourselves so he kept us really abreast on everything that was going on at the uh, AHL level in terms of the management and the thoughts of the Board of Governors and everything. And so we kept the guys away from the rink that day because we knew that things, you know, were probably going to take a turn. So we just communicated with them from uh, their homes and kept them there. And as the day unfolded, things, uh, you know, went from sort of rumor to actually, you know, keep the guys out of the rink, stay out of any meetings. And uh, let's start sort of isolating guys at home. So, as you know, that went from zero to 60 quite quickly at the professional hockey league level. So where are your players? Do you? I know that at the NHL level, level players have been granted permission to return to their hometowns. Uh, some perhaps choosing to stay in the markets that they're playing in because perhaps they're safer there or because they don't want to travel. What's the status of your group? Uh, same same rules apply where uh, there we do have some players in our market, uh, but we have a lot of players that have gone home and uh, a lot of players that, you know, based on their comfort level and, and their ability to travel and the situation that they can be at at their respective uh, off-season homes, some elected to go to those places while there's a few that have remained here. Um, and so, you know, a little bit, a little bit of both, but I would say the majority of our players are at home and we're keeping in contact with them. Again, Brad Pascal has been excellent for us and just sort of relaying everything that we're, they're hearing at the NHL level and how that would apply to our players who are on NHL contract or our players who are, um, you know, American league contracts or PTOs and just getting the word out to them. We have a, we have a team app that we use and can communicate well. So, between our uh, group chats and our conference calls and our uh, notifications and individual phone calls, the guys are just trying to keep them abreast. And, and as you know, you know, it's tough for an athlete because they're really in limbo in terms of what they're, how they're trying to manage their time right now and their conditioning and everything. So, but it's, it's a lot tougher on many, many other sections of our society. So no one's in a position to complain about it right now. And I imagine, given the state of California's, um, you know, level of concern, a lot of these players would have been heading home to 14-day quarantines, be it, uh, you know, self-administered or mandatory, depending where they're returning to. Uh, is that something that you've talked about a bunch with your players in terms of dealing with that or surviving those lonely hours for a, for a professional athlete? Yeah, it is something that we really wanted them to understand because the, at the beginning of this, uh, it was, you know, there was the thought of some players to go home and we wanted guys to know as this unfolded quickly that they had to grasp that concept that, hey, you can go home now, whether it's to Canada or maybe it's to Europe, but you have to understand that you have an obligation to your society and the people in your life where, um, you know, especially coming from California, who's, which has had a lot of cases as a state, you need to make sure that you're, you know, following those guidelines and 
they can't have authorities come and check you in your home. You have to be a responsible member of society and make sure you do your best to stay away from others and um, ensure that you're not carrying anything into your family circles or your friend circles or anything like that. So we did really explain that to them and make sure they understood. And, and uh, as the, as the outlook, uh, you know, sort of took on a more uh, prolonged kind of um, uh, look, then I think that's when guys started to do the math and say, hey, if I go home, I might have to do quarantine. But, you know, at the end of that quarantine, there's a good chance that pro sports won't be rolling again, and at least they'll be back in my environment with my family and everything. Yeah, fair enough. I imagine probably one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, Sports have work stoppages all the time. You have long off-seasons. Athletes are accustomed to not going to work in that sense. But to not be able to go to a gym, to not be able to get ice, this is uh, probably a huge challenge, especially when we know how elite the conditioning levels of hockey players are, to just be able to stay in something close to good shape, never mind game shape, if, if this season is unpaused at the AHL or NHL level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for them, and and um, I think that the guys do a good a good job of recognizing that. Hey, well, it's a challenge. It's a it's a luxury that they're concerned about, as opposed to some of the real problems that are really you know people are having to endure. So they they you know take it with a grain of salt. But when you look at it from their point of view as professionals, it is it's quite tricky to look at a large gap and say, is this the beginning of my summer training or is this my maintenance time to make sure that I'm in full flight in a month and a half or two months? And that's quite tricky because there are really two very different um, ideal states. So uh, to be able to maintain either one of those without the advantage of a, you know, of a really great gym facility uh, is pretty tricky, but I will give, a lot of credit to uh, here in Stockton, for example, Rick Davis is our strength and conditioning coach and he works closely with RVA up in Calgary and uh, they do a good job of trying to get the guys everything that they can to make sure that they've got the mm, sort of tools they need to be able to do workouts, stay in shape and, and make things work with maybe not optimal equipment. Yeah, no question. Um, you would have been, before the lockdown even happened, very close to what I suppose was the first real hotspot in North America. Santa Clara, the San Jose area, that was the first where public officials made statements about people gathering and where we saw a Sharks game very much swinging the balance, whether it would be played or not. How, uh, how much concern was there around the locker room heading into that week where things actually did get shut down? You know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of concern. There's a lot of there's a fair amount of banter about it, but as you know, there had been for the previous month. We had you know we had heard news and being in California, um, having you know maybe there's a our, our ties in California to China and Asia might be a little stronger, so that the our wherewithal on the condition of Wuhan and places like that was maybe a little um, heightened. And so we had chatted about it and there, there had been some different sort of uh, water cooler conversations. But I will say that the initial, you know, reaction in that previous week was more curiosity and not a feeling of fear or, or dread or nervousness as much as 
I think all of us, you know, were still learning to understand the gravity of the situation. And also that early news about how the uh, virus is less maybe virulent on uh, the younger population, which I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't think the guy's really in fear. I think that it's just that started to become a little more present in our lives. And obviously with Santa Clara becoming a hot spot, then it got a little more real and the sharks being over there. And then all of a sudden things snowballed quickly. Yeah. Kale McLean joining us, head coach of the American Hockey League, Stockton Heat, the Flames uh, top affiliate. Coach, uh, final one for you, the Flames uh, giving us some hockey news to talk about on Friday. A pair of college free agents signed, uh, Connor McKay and Colton Poolman, both defenders. Uh, what is uh, your level of interest on news like that? And just a quick reaction to that news developing on Friday. I, th- I thought it was great news. Like the the you know thought and preparation for what could be late this year or next year still doesn't stop. So I think that's a a nice job done by our management to be able to secure some top defensemen there. And I think that both Connor and Colton will be looking to play at the NHL level. But certainly, if uh, one, either, both of them ended up with us in Stockton, I have heard very good things about both of them both uh, in play and also in terms of their intangibles and their, their drive and their uh, leadership qualities. So excellent news. I think uh, something that in this landscape right now, everyone can use every bit of good news that we get. And so was excited to see it just like I'm sure a lot of fans flames were. Coach, thanks for the time. Do appreciate it. All the best in isolation there and uh, I guess uh, you're going to be diving deep into the tickle trunk and into the coloring books and arts and crafts and all that stuff (laughs) with the family enjoy it Uh, I will you guys stay safe up there in Calgary and uh, hopefully this thing will will pass with less uh, less sort of problems than we all see maybe coming there's the head coach of the AHL Heat Kale McLean joining us earlier today. That does it for the Sports Drive at 5. Reminder, we're taking you right to brand-new Rogers Place in Edmonton for round one of the Battle of Alberta back to December 27th. Great night for the brand-new top line of the Calgary Flames. Also, a reminder, Mike Soroka is set to join the program tomorrow. This has been Pinder and Steinberg in the Sports Drive at 5 on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.